0: Exactly as I say. Step down from there. I'd almost found that the female of the species was more responsive to electrical impulse than was the male. It's fortunate that we met here. Shall I show you how it was done?
1: Welcome to the bloody pent. My name is Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn, and we're here tonight to rejoin our series already in progress, (laughs) the (laughs) run of the, the run of films that we're covering. From uh, Universal Studios, made in the 1940s, they're Universal horrors of that decade. Um, we're going to be periodically coming mm. back to this. Uh, last year, mm. we worked our way all the way through 1940.
2: Mm-hmm. It, yes. took, it took it, it took, took some time. To, to, yes. <laughs> uh,
1: this year, there aren't as many films. I can't remember. I can't I think. There are like four or five films mm. in 1941. Mm. So in this year, uh, we hope to work our way through those. Uh, tonight's film is a man-made monster. Their first. Horror release of 1941, and it's a it's got a number of interesting points, including the first horror film of a particular mm-hmm. Universal horror star It yep. we went on to uh, to uh, great acclaim and uh, quite a few quite a few roles for the next several decades, and uh, quite a, and quite he was a, so happy about it too. He, 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 was, so, he was he was he was so thrilled thrilled, yes. thrilled. So, so thrilled. Nevertheless, before we get on to Talking about Crichton. (laughs) Yes. Let's let's, uh, remind you folks that uh, the Bloody Pit is a podcast in which we discuss strange movies of uh, generally the horror type. And uh, there's no telling what each episode will hold or uh, where we will go from Mm. uh, episode to episode. But...
3: We might actually spoil them for you.
1: uh, This sometimes happens. In this case, I will tell you from the uh, outset here, we're going to spoil Man-Made Monster. So... If uh, you do not wish to know uh, the ending or how things wrap up in this almost one-hour-long film
2: <laughs>
1: made, uh, good lord, seventy some odd years ago, mm. uh, we apologize. But if you already know the film, or if you realize that it really can't be spoiled, come on—it's a nineteen forties mm. Universal <laughs> That's horror right. film. Yeah. Uh, come along for the ride. We will mention at a certain point that we're going to be that uh, we'll, we'll be talking further into the plot than some people might be comfortable with if they would like to see the movie cold. And so we will give another warning at a certain point. Longtime listeners of the podcast may have noted that uh, I sound decidedly sexier than average. This is because I have caught my uh, not not really annual. I've been a couple of years since I've had one of these when we were recording, mm-hmm, but I do have mm-hmm. a head cold right now. And so I do sound uh,
3: a bit more uh, bass. Yeah, is that, is that the way you're, you're approaching it? Tim Lucas levels of, of, of sex appeal? <laughs> I don't know. Am I becoming sonorous? Am That's I? That's right.
1: Am I, I? I can't. I can't do it. I can't. I can't. I can't be. I can't be that cool. It's just not mm. possible. But uh, regardless of that, yes, it is me. I've not been replaced by a pod person, mm. or if I have, it was done so long ago that I mm. now believe that I'm actually me, and it doesn't matter anyway. Mm. We'll get to uh, a few interesting things after the episode. We have uh, two or three pieces of feedback that we'll, uh, that we'll uh, read out and or play for you at the end of this episode. Uh, there's some questions being asked and some comments being made. And if you would like to join in on that, the uh, email address is pit at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, normally, I do write back. Uh, but considering that tonight I finally looked at the email address uh, for the first time in a little while and realized, oh, good, we have stuff to talk about on the episode tonight after we talk about the film. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry I haven't replied to those people yet. Um, I will. But nevertheless, if you've listened to the show, then maybe it's better for us to talk about them on the show. Is it better that way, you think?
3: Uh, you know, maybe it's, it's, you know, they they may, they may might possibly, possibly be interested in what I might have to say. <laughs> I don't know, you know, maybe. Maybe. I can't imagine why. <laughs> I me it. either, but.
1: Uh, by the way, Troy, I would like to compliment you on your Studio Ghibli style Godzilla t shirt. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. I think
1: that's very cool. Studio Gojira. Gojira, yes, that was our good friends Magda and David gave this to me. That is very nice. I think it's very cool. It's very, very much. Uh, My neighbor Totoro crossed with Gojira. I I, I, I like that quite a bit.
3: Well, on the other hand, I'm I'm, I'm very envious and and, uh, um, nearly violently jealous over your Black Panther t-shirt that you're wearing. I
1: hadn't even even thought about that. Yes, I am wearing a Black Panther t-shirt. It's true. It's got uh, the cover of uh, Black Panther issue two. Mm -hmm. That's the Jack Kirby run of Black Panther. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's a... it's a good one when you when you mm-hmm. if you wonder why would they they use the cover of number two. Once you've seen the cover of number one, you realize the cover of number two is a much more dynamic image. So mm-hmm. that's
3: that's why you went with that one. And this will tell you why, I mean, if any like woman ever like cold called us and asked us what we were wearing, why she would be immediately turned off. You know,
1: <laughs> you know, these days I don't know if that's true. Well, or not. these days,
3: true. These days, you might find she might find it just just incredibly enticing. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, there are, there's many a night I sit around in my mm. Black Panther t shirt and my my <laughs> Batman symbol
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> leggings <laughs> and my my Nightmare Before Christmas socks, and by God, I'm you just think the coolest.
3: I'm a, a God. Coolest, I'm a golden
1: god. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the coolest version. <laughs> whatever <it> was <laughs> <laughs> Oh man I. Uh... What I wouldn't give for a legion of Super Villains T-shirt. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, folks, we'll uh, we'll get to
3: to, to more business. Uh, we should we should long ago have produced Nashi T-shirts. You realize that, right? I know, I know. It's been suggested before. Why don't we have Nashi cast T-shirts? And, uh, do, not even just and, for
1: Nashi cast. Well, of course, it would have ended up being a Nashi cast.
3: Well, how many years did it take us to uh, do a Facebook page? You know, <laughs> several, oh, this so is true. I we had to be we, we
1: had to be dragged by the facial hair
3: <laughs> to do a Facebook
1: Facebook yeah, page. But yeah. uh, folks, we will stop babbling now. But thank you very much for. listening listening, remember you can get hold of us over on the Facebook page. Uh, I even have a Twitter, although it's under my own
3: name, so, you know, God help you trying to find me.
1: And, uh, Troy, are you on Twitter?
3: I am not. I'm not. I keep thinking that at some point I'm going to, if nothing else, just because it's recommended so highly for bands and stuff, you know, for just you know, that I probably need to, but at this point, no, no, I'm not on Instagram or anything. Really, Facebook is pretty much it at this point for me. Well, I don't... I don't know. I'm still trying to get the hang of the Twitter thing. I'm
1: I i can not figure out hashtags. I
3: mm-hmm.
1: I'm, I'm frustrated by the concept, but I don't know.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, fa- Facebook is quickly becoming the place where old folks go to die anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And since it's, it's, it's something else is coming along to. Yeah. To, to, I mean, what, what's what's next? We you still know, face that. slash. Or, yeah. You know. You <laughs> know. God only knows what. Twite slang no. or I don't know uh, Who, sad thing is I think my face my MySpace page is still out there somewhere and, uh, and uh, I just I, you know I can't oh, believe mine is I was, too mine's out there somewhere I should have taken it down long ago but I, no I, no no
1: it's best to, it's best to leave those tombstones those <laughs> <yeah>. electronic tombstones <laughs> out there right. for people to stumble across and realize that there was a time direct when your enemies <laughs> to it you know, yeah. <laughs> you know it. it's distract. Yeah. It's no like, I, I conduct all my important business <laughs> through MySpace that's so that that's no weird. one will
3: ever know this business is being conducted <laughs> there you go
1: Think about, the, think about the criminal element. that the things thing you get away out, with. Yeah,
3: I <laughs> know. That's true. You could say anything out there. Nobody would ever <laughs> Nobody know. Nobody would ever know. <laughs> there could, there could be, be nothing reported that was controversial if it was on MySpace because no one would care.
2: Yeah.
1: <sighs> Nevertheless, folks, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, come back, and we will start talking about Man-Made Monster from 1941.
0: Just how drunk are we gonna? Welcome to Good Beer, Bad Movie Night, where each month we drink finely crafted brews while watching terrible films
4: in order to see just how drunk you have to get to enjoy them. So tune in and join Troy... Kill boy <laughs> Oh, that was pretty good!
5: Thank you!
0: <laughs> Dave... I have the weirdest boner and Pete, IPAs
1: are ales, meaning they are bottom fermented. Excuse me, they are top fermented. I bet that up. <laughs> Let me try that again. <laughs> As we drag Kathleen... Hear me. ...kicking and screaming through an alcohol-fueled podcast dedicated to movies of questionable quality and the frosty adult beverages that help make them tolerable. Good beer, bad movie night. Clearly, it's the beer's fault. <laughs>
5: This is Bobby Hazard here, along with... Uh, The Colonel. And we're here to tell you about the Spring Break Forever Podcast Network.
1: See, we got this one podcast where we talk about movies you can watch for free on the internet called
5: No Pants Sunday. We also have my own personal podcast called I Hate Music. And we also talk about uh, music and other stuff on No Pants Sunday that involve that No Pants lifestyle. (laughs) And we also have another podcast about Alice Cooper that I host with... A bunch of people called CooperCast. And in the future, we're going to have Beat on the Cast, which is a Ramones podcast.
1: Will there be a podcast about an Alice Cooper movie to tie this all together? I don't know.
5: Tune in and find out. Spring Break Forever Podcast Network. Yes, uh, we're on iTunes. iTunes. Stitcher.
1: Uh, Yes, Stitcher.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Podface. That thing. And wherever else we'll... Mirror our RSS feet. Suckers. And we also have a Tumblr page, springbreakforeverpodcast.tumblr.com. Check it out and enjoy the rest of The Bloody Pit.
1: Monster, released March 28, 1941. The listed running time is 60 minutes, but I'm telling you right now, the film's a few seconds shy of 60
3: minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's more like it
1: 50, is, 59
3: minutes and a few seconds. Uh, the word would be brisk. That's uh, that's the that's the word that describes most of these 40s films. It definitely is brisk. Uh, mm-hmm. I honestly had remembered when I sat down to watch it the
1: other night for the first time in a few years,
3: mm-hmm.
1: I remembered it being a 70-minute-long film.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So when Things kind of started to escalate mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> around the forty-five minute mark. <laughs> I thought, hmm, I may be misremembering some plot points. Are there some things, <laughs> some inter- are there yeah. some complications that creep into yeah. this thing in the last, you know, like twenty or twenty-five minutes?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then realize right about the the fifty-seven minute mark, I realized, oh, this thing's this thing's shorter than I, well, this thing's really short. Yeah. Nevertheless, directed by George Wagner, based on a story. Called The Electric Man by Harry Essex, Sid Schwartz, and Lynn Golos. Although, as I'll uh, lean into later, primarily Harry Essex. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, for a long time, hours and hours actually, I thought that it was a short
3: story that I could look up and find and read. Mm. it is not <laughs> yeah that's what that kind of threw me too I was thinking that and you know the, at first too I was kind yeah. of thinking like oh cool I can't read the source material but nope, nope. you cannot read the source okay. material because no. it was written as a story for you know to be turned
2: into a screen
1: so that was a bit frustrating because boy did I hunt mm. this film has quite a cast and although let's admit it Lon Chaney Jr. is the the star mm. to a large degree mm. really in reality when you step back from it I mean, this is Lon Chaney Jr.'s first horror film. Mm-hmm. This is the one that Universal used as kind of a proof of concept to see if this is the guy that they're going to be putting in mm-hmm. more horror movies to try to turn him into the next mm-hmm. Karloff, they hoped. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's that's what they did, come hell or high mm-hmm. water. That is what they did.
3: But really, the star of this movie, the, the, true, mm-hmm. the, the true villain... Mm-hmm. Is Lionel Atwell? Mm-hmm. Well, who, he certainly believed he was the star. You can tell by the way he. <laughs> well, I mean, he's, way which written. is great. No, no. I mean, he's great in it, but yeah. I mean, you can definitely. There's no doubt in his mind that, that uh, he was <laughs> in every scene that he is the star of. You know, but that's what made Lionel Atwell so much fun. You know. So. Oh yeah.
1: Lionel Atwell never. Lionel Atwell never gave less than everybody else on screen and usually gave way more than necessary. Mm. He's great in this. Mm. Good old really, good really old great pinky pinky, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shall we shall we discuss the Christmas day the Christmas orgy? <laughs> How can you not? Yeah. <laughs> well, we might have to discuss the Christmas orgy. and uh, Ann Nagel is also a joy to see in this. Yeah. Um, she was in Black Friday that we did mm. last year. hmm and uh, just the other night, Beth and I settled in and watched uh, the Mystery Science Theater version of Mad Mo- the Mad Monster
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with
1: uh, George Zuko mm-hmm. and Glenn Strange, mm-hmm. and I forgotten Ann Nagels in that as well.
3: She's yeah, she's
2: yeah, often
1: really...
3: often the threatened female in these films. Yeah, I was in uh, you know she she had a rather sad life, you know rather sad you know story of life, yeah. and really it's I, I, watching this movie really brought home to. I mean, I liked her anyway and the stuff I'd seen her in, but watching this, I was kind of really. Thought it, was, it was really surprising that she didn't go on to do more and a lot of some of it might have been her own personal choices that went wrong but I, I when I see her in this movie she does very well yeah she got a great screen presence she has a great voice I mean mm-hmm. she's certainly easy on the eyes you know she does her her part very well and I'm really I was sitting there watching and thinking like why didn't she get more chances to for at least these kind of roles uh, but then reading about her it seems like she kind of of her own choice Left Universal probably with the idea of well I don't want to do these type things I want to go into more and of course as often happened in those days it didn't lead to more you know and she died at the age of fifty you know um, you know apparently after only getting kind of being relegated down to to very very small little cameos and that sort of thing so, yeah
1: which is, which is a shame because she clearly yeah. clearly had the I mean, she, she clearly had the talent yeah. and the 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 screen charisma mm-hmm. to pull mm-hmm. off you know mm-hmm. whatever might have been thrown at her and it's yeah. a shame yeah. And, and you're right. When, you know, once she passed away, if our, uh, did she did she it in, cancer? It was it was it was again. cancer. Yeah, that that's that's a shame. I you know because she's one of those actresses. You see so many of these wonderful uh, ingenues in the 30s and 40s, mm-hmm. not just Universal horror films, but you know all films of that period. Mm-hmm. And you see them turning up as older women in uh, you know like Linda Farrell and and. Uh, Joan Blondell, yeah. been turning up as older actresses in the '60s and '70s, mm-hmm. and they've still got it. Yeah, yeah, and they're you know now they're playing you know grandmothers mm-hmm. or right. yeah. or older wiser women, and it's just really it, it's really great to see them, and it's just a shame that unfortunately you know, as always, mm-hmm. fuck cancer. I yeah, right. Say. No
5: kidding. No. But.
1: Um, Back on track, sorry, sorry, a
3: little sideline there to complain about cancer, which is something that I'll do fairly regularly throughout my I know, my life. as I often say, uh, death doesn't piss me off, cancer pisses me off. Yeah, no <laughs> shit. I
1: was, I was really impressed to discover the director, George Wagner, who, uh, by the way, also directs our next feature yeah, when we get back be, yeah. to the series,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Horror, uh, uh, Horror Island, mm-hmm. which uh, I understand you haven't seen I have yet. not seen Horror Island. Well, I was. Uh, that's you're going to enjoy this. That. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, well, he, sh- he shot both of those movies, and Manmade Monster and Horror Island were went out as a double bill. Oh, okay. Uh, one of those rare instances
3: when a director shot both movies that were part of a, or the top wow. and the bottom of a double bill, which I think is pretty cool. Well, of course, I'm you know Horror Island. Speaking of actresses, I'm 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 looking forward to that because Peggy Moran is in that. that oh, yeah? I am. Yeah. So, it's been a few years since I have watched Horror Island too. And it's going to be fun to return mm-hmm. to that.
1: Yeah. Um, we'll tell you when that is, but it's going to be a few months from now, guys. Yeah. But um, George Wagner was a former pre-med student who uh, started uh, in Hollywood, his career in Hollywood in 1920 as an actor and a writer. If you look at his writing credits, he's got a lot of writing credits. Yeah, yeah. Before he got behind the Mm -hmm. camera as a director. I was surprised. I've actually seen one of the films in which he has a significant role because I've seen John Ford's silent movie, The Iron Horse. He played Buffalo Bill in The Iron Horse. And I'm like, oh crap, I've seen him. It's been years since I watched the Iron Horse, but it's like, oh, cool. I could, you know, mm-hmm. I should pull out my DVD of that and watch it and watch it to see what he looked like. But he um, often used a pseudonym for his various writing assignments. From what I understand, he even wrote some uh, some songs, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty cool. Um, when we get into the deep, deep part of the film, I think we'll talk more about Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah, yeah. Of course he kind of got this film because he he proven himself capable of a in a in a similar role which is of course the much lauded performance he did he had in the 1939's uh, adaptation of John Steinbeck's of Mice and Men mm-hmm. along with Burgess Meredith. Mm-hmm. And he was very good in that very, you know, it, it was an it's an extremely good role and it's one that uh, Lon Chaney was kind of honestly born to play. He looks yeah. the part yeah. and yeah. he's really good in that role. If you've mm-hmm. never seen the film I do recommend it in a way, his performance in that kind of led directly to the kinds of roles that he yeah. usually played for yeah. Universal in their horror movies.
3: Yeah. I was thinking that, you know, it, it's it's too, it's, it just kind of speaks to the luck that he had because you think about how it is now with actors, usually the Oscar grab for most modern actors is to play a simple-minded or a type yeah. of mentally handicapped type of role there, and now you look at him and he got all this acclaim for that, but instead... They kind of take the opposite route. Looked at it and like, oh, we need some big hulking, you know, <laughs> man child for this film. Let's get Lon Chaney Jr. <laughs> well, That's very true. He just reminded me of the old joke that, in general, men, no matter how good they are
1: as actors, will get their first um, uh, serious consideration for uh, for an award if they're playing a mentally deficient mm-hmm. person, someone mm-hmm. with some kind of mental yeah. problem. Yeah. Um, and women <laughs> generally will get. Real seri- real serious uh, notoriety if they play a Nazi, <laughs> 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 which uh, you know,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. I guess,
1: I guess it still works that way. If you look, if you look at award season listings, it just seems like, oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I'll never forget as many awards and as much, as many nominations as somebody like Robert De Niro gets. Mm-hmm. There came a point where he played. I think it was a film called Stanley and Iris, where he played. Oh, yeah. Uh, an, an, uh, a man who was uh, you know a man who was illiterate mm-hmm. and there was serious talk of Oscar nominations and stuff like this I don't even remember how, how far along that got I don't know if he was nominated for that film or not mm-hmm. but I just remember thinking we don't have to nominate him for everything Yeah, we really yeah. don't yeah. and then it was after that that he started doing you know more and more shitty films and, <laughs> yeah, and, and was... crappy comedies and it was just like and the Academy suddenly realized yeah, no, yeah we don't we don't
3: really to do that <laughs> there again. came a point when both Robert De Niro and Dustin Hoffman kind of stopped I think being so choosy let's say about what they were in. You know, there was a time when it's Dustin. I like
0: just wanted. There was a it's time like they wanted Dick, to have
3: fun. Yeah, or think something. So, I think so because know. it was a time when, like Dustin Hoffman, you could almost just guarantee he didn't do that many films. Every long space film, he seemed to just really be very careful and meticulous about what he chose, and yeah. nearly all the time. He knocked it out of the park, and then there came a point where I think he's just like, no, I just want to act, you know, and started being in some really bad stuff, you know, or just playing things, almost lampooning himself, and I think De Niro's well, done the same thing. And, and uh,
1: I mean, the king the king of that for me, well, currently the king of that is Bruce Willis, who gave up giving a shit like a decade ago. Yeah, yeah right, sure. But yeah. my my favorite example from across the decades is Michael Caine. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, fam- I mean, famously did uh-huh. Jaws the Revenge because it would give him and his family a yeah. vacation in the Caribbean. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah,
3: uh, insane, mm-hmm.
1: but nevertheless, mm-hmm. we're not talking about modern know, day film weasy, choices weasy, yeah, for actors. Seriously, who are going
3: down rabbit holes here, <laughs> now, my <laughs> yeah, dad. Yeah.
1: yeah, this, this is this is. The, and, although one could say that Lionel Atwill mm-hmm. is above the material in this film, and he mm-hmm. still digs his teeth into oh, it absolutely. and it really does oh, a fantastic. Yeah.
3: He does job. some very cool stuff in this movie.
1: He is, in a lot of ways, Lionel Atwill is probably my favorite mad scientist oh, yeah. of this period. I mean, I like, don't get me wrong. I love George Zuko. I love them all, mm-hmm. but At will brings every iota of acting prowess mm-hmm. to his performance yeah. every time. Yeah,
3: and he's so he's he's smooth. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to see the insanity just right under the surface. Well, well, there's a couple. Of, what's great is, you know, you've you got to love a mad scientist who who just totally owns the fact that he's mad. I mean, there's this great couple of times in this film where he's just like, yep, I'm mad. You know, <laughs> you got to just love it, you know. It's yeah, I mean, like... he, he, he flat out says it, <laughs> yeah, and, his, and his
1: bald-faced acceptance yeah, of that
3: yeah, yeah. of that, uh, <laughs> that <laughs> just
1: makes people accept yeah. him anyway, yeah. regardless of how he says what he says. Mm. I, I absolutely love it. <laughs> Well, this was actually a pretty cheap film for Universal. Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out the estimated budget was only eighty-six thousand bucks,
2: mm-hmm.
1: making uh, this film one of the cheapest that was shot on the lot, and it was shot in, in just three weeks.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Even though it did have some pretty intricate special effects, there's some really interesting um, glow—you know, glow-in-the-dark stuff mm-hmm. going on in this movie, and it's pretty well handled.
3: Yeah. I oh. think it was probably I don't know the exact techniques, but I'm guessing it was not a particularly difficult effect to do, but it's effective. I mean, it it oh, works. Yeah. It works fine for what they're trying to do. I mean, it's like you don't need any more. This is he's an electric man. Let's put him in this cool big suit and make the make the his head and hands, hands glow. glow. Oh, yeah. And it's it works. And then the makeup underneath, uh, which is Jack Pierce, and and the, I think it's a good combination of what Jack Pierce was able to do on a budget and what John Fulton was able to do on a on a on a budget. You true,
1: know. true. Uh, the, well, the the glowing effects in this. Are very much um, the same kind of effects that they did in uh, the Invisible Ray. Yeah, yeah. From well, now, three years before, so they they'd done this kind of thing before mm. very well. Yeah. But um, when I read that this film was one of the cheaper ones that they produced in the decade, I wouldn't. Have, I wasn't that mm. surprised. Mm. Uh, mainly because I, I as I th- I look back on the films like, well, then you know, mm. there aren't really any special effects, mm. and you know. My memory was,
3: you know, what, you got three or four sets? Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's about right. Well, it's interesting because you have this whole opening here with the car crash that kind of sets the whole story oh, in motion. And, the, and it's the model work is... is, oh, it's, a mod- is it's awesome, model It's yeah. fantastic. And, and, again, it brings me back to John Fulton. I was thinking about this when I was watching. This, like I was thinking, I don't recall... You know, monster. I've been monster kid all my life. Read about monsters and famous monsters, and all this, and I never remember John Fulton's name really coming up much. You heard Jack Pierce's name all the time because of the face, you know, the facial and, makeup, and yeah. of course the act of course the horror stars. But um, I think I was thinking like I mean, he, John Fulton and his crew basically worked on all of these. I mean, starting yeah, from the first yeah. through all of Universal's run. I don't know if there's any been any. I just don't know how much special attention has been paid to his his work. But I just think that he really did some amazing. Stuff and this model work. This whole intro here is is, is, is very well done.
1: Well, it's great, and um, I think the first time I saw this movie, God, years and years ago, was on VHS, mm-hmm. and that lower resolution for me, I thought I didn't think it was. I didn't no, think it, it was probably a Sold it even more. Yeah, it sold yeah. it even more. Mm-hmm. I mean, now you can see. You know, now you can see it in. It's, well, it's not out in high def, but mm-hmm. now you can see a, a good digital print of it. Mm-hmm. You can see that it's. Uh, you can see that it is uh, miniature work, but mm. it's such good miniature yeah. work. It's just yeah. one of those things where uh, it's another 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 of those kind of situations where I think that the special effects of a different error, mm-hmm. oh, c- certain types of special effects from other errors like stop motion photography. Yes, they're mm-hmm. less realistic looking than mm-hmm. something that's you know uh, very carefully done in in CGI. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the effect that that work has on the viewer mm-hmm. that makes it more satisfying in a lot of ways mm-hmm. because yeah. i think and, and for me i think that a large degree of why it's so much more satisfying is that i'm aware on one level, while I'm enjoying it mm-hmm. as a narrative, how much work yes. went into uh, yeah, yes. making mm-hmm. those miniature sets and that mm-hmm. you know all of that and how to, you know all the work that went into making it work mm-hmm. and making you know the, the you know the bus skid properly mm-hmm. and everything look mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and uh, the tricks they used to find a way to uh, to film you know flames and water mm-hmm. so that it looked you know correct at what scale they had to build things to get that stuff to look right yeah. and so. I I kind yeah. of enjoy it on multiple levels, yeah. which is like, one I love it as a way to tell the story, but I also love the detail and mm-hmm. and skill that went yeah. into crafting these things, mm-hmm. and then just to stand back it's like I would I would love to be able to like frame by frame go through this these shots oh, yeah. just to look and see all of the little things that the eye can't mm-hmm. catch mm-hmm. because the the shots are pretty dynamic,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so. Uh, yeah, you're right. Get, mm. Start starting off your film
2: yeah. <laughs> with
1: something that's just that that yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, like I say, I don't know. Uh, I I really am always curious about how modern audiences would react to something like this, as to whether or not they would see it as mm. uh, silly or ineffective, or or just what kind of reaction they would have to. But I, like I say, it's part of not even charm. It's not mm. the. Ch- it's not part of the charm. It's part of the allure. It's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I come back to these movies yes. is to see that <clears throat> kind of thing. Uh, right. every, you know, in this movie, yes, the glow mm. in the dark stuff. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the interesting makeup that's actually put on uh, Cheney's face as mm. as he goes through the process and begins to feel more and more run down and to look, you know, more and
3: more haggard and, and like a damn walking dead man. And that's what you mostly saw when you saw films uh, stills of the film because obviously the stills wouldn't catch yeah. the glowing, and so you thought that's how the the monster was going to look. You thought, okay, this is pretty effective makeup. You don't realize then when you actually until you finally see the film that it's actually underneath what's you know there's another layer on top of it it's mm-hmm. actually the glowing
1: which i light. which i, th- I think it, i think it all works and it's mm-hmm. just like i say mm-hmm.
3: i'm mm-hmm.
1: it's um I, I could have stood a 70 minute version of this film maybe <laughs> Although, yeah. yeah
3: well you yeah you, i'll get back to that too for for a couple other reasons and I'll but uh, go ahead and well you no, know it might, why, have why it, might have
1: felt it, padded but we'll get well, to how they, how they could have padded it out yeah and i, I too, yeah and now. i don't
3: think we're going to talk about too much i mean mine is more a case of things that well, we'll get to it. No, it's oh, okay, okay.
1: Well, before we dig into a synopsis of the film, I'd like to point out that the uh, original shooting title of the movie was the Mysterious Dr. R, which is, of course, a direct reference to uh-huh. Lionel Atwill's character, meaning right. Doctor that yeah. clearly that title would have put his character, who As is your main character, the sure. main character, uh-huh. the villain, really, yeah. would have put him front and center right in the title. But obviously, Man-Made Monster was a switch made because they're trying to turn Lon Chaney Jr. into a star. Mm-hmm. At least mm-hmm. that's my assumption. Uh-huh. Uh, This film arose uh, uh, out of the ashes. Uh, I'm uh, I'm sorry, I'm reading directly from Tom Weaver's book now. Mm -hmm. Arose from the ashes of the unmade Karloff-Lugosi film, The Man in the Cab, based on the story The Electric Man, which Universal bought on August 1st, 1935. Now, that's the Harry Essex story. Mm -hmm. Uh, The studio had lost interest in the project. It was possible uh, that the the story was shelved in favor of the somewhat similar The Invisible Ray around Mm -hmm. the same time. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Essex told the authors of this book, he says, uh, Sidney Schwartz, who also wrote for paper for the paper, uh, the, Harry Essex was, uh, was working at as a newspaper uh, writer, uh, so he and two other guys uh, were bouncing story ideas around, and I came up with the notion to do a thing called The Electric Man. It was based on a true story I read about a government organization that was performing tests on electricity in the human body, how much we use up throughout the day, and how we recharge our batteries by sleep at night. Out of that was born the idea of the electric man. If there was some way to recharge the body's electricity, we wouldn't have to eat or sleep. The story was submitted to an agency and sold to Universal. We didn't get much money for it at the time. I think we got something like $3,300, but it was my first big sale. Now, mm-hmm. let me just say that I'm pretty sure that in 1935, $3,300 mm-hmm. even split three ways
3: yeah. was a chunk of change. It was a good, yes. that would, uh, Yeah, I think so. I think so.
1: So not getting much for it would <laughs> tell you that by the time Harry Essex was giving this particular interview, mm-hmm. he was used to making much more money. Yeah, than him, yeah. So. <laughs> well, Universal revived the project in 1940, signed it to George Wagner, uh, and he rewrote the script as well. He used his uh, pseudonym, Joseph West. And changed the title at that time to the Human Robot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And once again, that's not the title. (laughs) It's not even the title we shot (laughs) on. So uh, I found that was I found that very interesting. That the director, who was known as a scriptwriter, yeah, uh, also did Mm -hmm. the final script polish on this under a pseudonym. Mm -hmm. So very cool. Over the years, how many times have you seen this movie? Because I think this is
3: maybe my third or fourth, maybe fifth time seeing this sucker. Quite honestly, I had such little memory of it that I wasn't totally sure that I had actually even seen it. Really? Uh, once I have been watching it, I was like, okay, yes, I have, but that would lead me to believe that I probably have only seen it. This was, might have only been my second time, when I first viewed it for this, might have only been my second time viewing it. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. And uh, it was really one of the fun, really fun things about viewing it this time around is because I really had not didn't have that perspective on it of realizing that it was Cheney's first monster movie. You know, I, I knew it was a forties universal film, but because it'd been so long since I'd seen it, um, I just sort of had it in my head that it was one that was made maybe shortly after the Wolfman or just as they really knew that he was their horror star and just started putting right. him. And, and, uh, so that, that was really this time around realizing that, that, oh, this, you know, the guy had made almost like around 60 movies by this point, but not, horror movies you know he yeah. obviously was diligently trying not to to be that that like you know that it'd be put in not the top of films but list, but, but, but at the same time if you took those sixties sixty films what you know probably the majority of them are going to be you know thugs henchmen walk on rolls you know just Very not parts, getting yeah. not getting those parts until uh of mice and men you know and uh it had to be doubly kind of bitter for him to to think now I've arrived because of the acclaim he got for that. Um, but yeah, but it was fun for me just to put it in that perspective. Thinking, like, oh wow, this really is this, this is pretty cool. This is I'm seeing the beginning of you know the Lon Chaney Jr. that we monster fans would come to you know come to love, and and just to finish that and, oh, yeah. and and the things that we love about him are I think very evident in this film. I mean, what what the appeal that he had, and he commonly has when people talk about his his good side of his acting, I think is evident mm-hmm. in this in this film. I think the the type character that he plays I
1: think I think Lon Chaney Jr.'s uh, strengths are in eliciting uh, sympathy Mm -hmm. they're always Mm -hmm. uh, he he has the right face and those those huge eyes Mm -hmm. that uh, are built Mm -hmm. to elicit sympathy from an audience and he's always very good at that Uh, I think that's one of the things although it turned into a massive cliche that longer he played the wolfman character Mm -hmm. It, it's also good that he's so adept at that particular thing in that role mm. because it allows uh, the screenwriters a really quick shorthand mm-hmm. to make you feel sympathy for this guy who to be honest once he's playing the wolfman is is turning into a murderer. Yeah. So the uh have, having someone who is uh you know likable who seems to have absolutely no guile to him and that's certainly true of the character he plays in this film. You won't find a more likable lug Mm-hmm. Than the character, you know, Dan McCormick, that he plays mm-hmm. in this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a likable, fun guy who doesn't seem to have a bad word for anybody. Doesn't seem to have uh, any characteristics that you know mm-hmm. anybody would draw attention to as you know irritating or mean spirited or cruel. He seems to be an even tempered mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, dogs love him. Come on, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that's 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 quick movie. Mm-hmm. That's quick movie uh, movie speech mm-hmm. or a quick quick movie. Um, shorthand for, you know, lovable, good-natured, uh, mm-hmm. you know, good
3: guy. Well, as, as I put mm-hmm. in my notes, he's, you know, Dan, the character he plays, is not simple-minded. He's just simple. He's a simple man. I mean, he yeah. he's, 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 he's has simple enjoyment of everything he does. He's just trying to get by. Um, I'm going to steal him steal a couple of insights from uh, of uh, uh, Brian Sin who uh, I know I know we hate to he praise upon Brian because ah, he's such a Brian uh. Yeah, <laughs> actually if anyone has the Midnight Marquee Actors Series book on Lon Chaney Jr. Uh, uh, which is really very yeah. good yeah, but but uh, Brian Sin is the, wrote the entry on Man Made Monster and uh, one of the things he points out is that uh, Dan's evident enjoyment of, of everyday life is, is kind of evident in, every, in the scenes that he's in Yeah, and we feel it when we it makes us feel something missing there or feel that absence when he begins to deteriorate into. Oh yeah, it. and that's tough to do in the brief, brief time all this is happening in. And that's one of the things that in a, I, in
1: a movie that introduces yeah. you to what seven, six characters. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. He
3: doesn't get much time to do what he's what he's trying to get across. Right. And it's one of the things like I said maybe the film could have used an extra five minutes or ten just to let some of those little things breathe as far as the character interplay, you know, between them so all the so, things they maybe. have to do so quickly. To develop, but it says something for Cheney's performance that you still what little you've seen of him, you do miss him. You you do miss him when he's becomes this despondent, you know, zombie. You know, you feel that loss of that personality that was that that was in there, right? And that that
1: lack of energy mm-hmm. feels like something's been taken away, yeah, yeah. rather than uh, just a development that mm-hmm. you know adds interest to the plot. It does that, but it also does feel like... You know you, you do feel a lot of sympathy for the character in a way that the script needs you to, but it wouldn't have been quite so easy without, a, uh, without an actor who's so a- able to effort-
3: effortlessly yeah. get those emotions simply by yeah. virtue of how he is on screen. Right, and I would say that it would have to be a different animal altogether had they filmed this the way they originally planned to with Karloff and Lugosi, because, yeah. you know, it's assuming... Uh, the assumption, I guess, is that... <clears throat> Lugosi was going to play the mad scientist and that Karloff was going to play the the electric man and Karloff could certainly play good characters but I don't think either of those actors could have brought that everyman quality that Lon Chaney would bring that role I think you would have had to have written those roles that role differently depending on which of those actors played it it would be a different you have to be a completely different take on that character to to sell it I think I agree completely. We've seen Karloff take on those kinds of roles
1: and Mm -hmm. he's very good, but there's a, there's an inability with uh, Karloff to change one very simple fact, which is his voice, Mm -hmm. his accent Mm -hmm. and that very distinctive lisp. Mm -hmm. You have to, it was used very well when he plays a a kind of sympathetic bad guy that gets Mm -hmm. misused by Lugosi in, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in the Raven. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, He's never the kind of character that you feel that you feel a lack of him when he goes through. You're, you're mm-hmm. just watching this guy suffer. Yeah, you're yeah. not you're not really yeah. feeling sympathy for him. You're just watching him suffer, and, and yeah. it's in that story, you know, to to show you the cruelties of Lugosi's character before the final act, when the cruelties mm-hmm. come to you yeah. know come to the fore and are un- mm-hmm. unmistakable. And so, yeah, it would have had it would have been a very different thing. You would not have felt the way you feel about uh, the character. That's now nah,
3: that's that's decidedly true. But I would have loved to have seen Legosi. Oh, uh, doing
1: a, doing any mad scientist role, of course. I mean, sure. always, always, always. Yeah. So.
3: Well, it would have been great to have seen them do something again at that time, that brief time when Universal did consider them both stars. They might have always hard, thought Carloff yeah. was slightly higher, but they still was it willing to give both of them good substantial roles right, and appreciate right. the fact that they the way they played off each other you know it'd been good nice to have seen it made at that time
1: uh as a side note uh it is exciting to see that shout factory slash scream mm-hmm. factory has gotten their hands on oh yeah those four oh, boy, unreleased yeah. mm-hmm. universal horror films from the 30s yeah. that star both karloff and legosi so that so that would music. be the black cat mm-hmm. the jewel in the Crown. oh yes the black cat the raven um invisible ray, invisible ray and, the and one black we covered Friday. Yeah, black the one Friday covered on our show, yeah, uh, Black Friday, not the jewel in the crown, right but. no no, no, but uh. <laughs> but. Uh, that's very exciting because so. we've all been bitching for mm-hmm. years. Oh yeah, that you know, yeah. When the hell is Universal ever going to put those you know non-series mm. classic horror films from the '30s out on fucking Blu-ray? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, they're never going to do it. They're going to let somebody else do it. Yeah. And I'll be honest, hallelujah. Oh yeah. Because with oh, Shout God. Factory, they're gonna they're gonna bring out the big guns. They're gonna blow mm-hmm. out the doors trying yeah.
3: to pack it with extras. What we would have got Universal would have been very nice looking films, which is great. But That's nothing it. else. That <laughs> got got nothing you might have
1: got the trailer, yeah. and maybe uh, a write up on the
3: back telling mm-hmm.
1: you, "Oh, this is an important film."
3: Actually, what we probably would have done was, what we probably would have got was all the Karloff film, Lugosi films—they've already put out with these films stuck on there. So you'd have to buy Dracula and Frankenstein and Bride <laughs> of Frankenstein all over again, is what we probably yeah, would have got. You're probably right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Still, that does leave uh, one film
1: that they might have the rights to as well. Uh, Murders in the Room Org. Oh, yeah. Kind of hanging out oh, there yeah. because it yeah. doesn't have Karloff in it. Right. It's just Legosa. Let's hope. Yeah. And so I'm I'm, hope, I'm wondering, are they going to put that out by, on its own? Mm-hmm. And if so, mm-hmm. man, have I got some suggestions for them. No, yeah. <laughs> because uh, years ago, in Video Watchdog, Tim Lucas wrote this piece where he kind of tried to come up with a way to reassemble the film the way it was originally supposed to run.
3: Oh, right, yeah. I'm and right. you kind of, you know, like,
1: mm-hmm. there, there, there are things that aren't there that were probably, you know, probably filmed and left on the cutting room floor. Right. But re- you can rearrange the movie in a way that makes it a more interesting and better movie
2: mm-hmm.
1: with what's there. Mm-hmm. And man, what my suggestion would be if, you can, if you've got <laughs> Murders mm-hmm. in the Room Org mm-hmm. and Universal will let you do this, have an alternate... <laughs> Recut version of that (laughs) film as an extra on there, using Tim Lucas's notes from that Video Watchdog article. Get Lucas involved, Mm -hmm. get that idea out there, and play around with it. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, back in the day, I took my videotape Mm -hmm. and like painstakingly VCR to VCR like constructed (laughs) that just to see what it would look like. Sure, yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, it's you know videotape, so it's not you know I I I didn't even retain it. I don't even have a copy of that still, but it does make the film play in a much more interesting and more mm. nuanced way. Mm. And some of the cool. things that are in it do make more sense edited mm. in the way that, that Tim mm. was talking about. Wow. And so, like I say, if they've got that mm. one and if they bought those four chances are good that they yeah. have murders in the room Morgue as well. That's, you know, that's mm. the other biggie from the thirties. Yeah. And so, uh, man, mm. <laughs> fingers, cro- fingers mm. crossed, fingers yeah. crossed for that possibility. Absolutely man <laughs> uh anyway sorry we've uh we jumped <laughs> off the road hang on one second folks
4: another flash on that highway bus accident Dan McCormick the lone survivor has been taken to the receiving hospital for observation attending physicians are astounded at his condition because he shows no effects of the electrocution that killed the driver of the bus and all of his fellow passengers you say the man is conscious yes it's the most amazing thing I've ever heard of doctor after a good night's rest, he'll be ready to leave the hospital. Come on, come on. Give me those pants. I want to get out of here. <laughs> here, here. What's going on? I can't make him stay in bed, doctor. Well, I guess I ain't as tough as I thought I was. Tough? You're lucky to be alive after a shock like that. I'll get back in the bed and take it easy. Okay, okay. You're the doctor. This is Dr. Lawrence. Dr. Dan McCormick. How do you do? Dr. Lawrence wants to ask you a few questions. Sure. Glad to have somebody to talk to. You know, for a minute I thought you was one of those reporters. (laughs) No. No, but there are several of them downstairs. You won't like for publicity. Oh, say, that's great. I can use a couple of good write-ups in my business. What is your business, Dan? Oh, didn't you know? I run a high pitch down on the midway. It's an act. I'm Dynamo Dan, the electrical man. Fool around with storage batteries and stick my fingers into light sockets and make sparks jump between my hands. You know, yokel shockers. Yokel shockers? Sure. Stuff to fool the peasants. It's all for effect. Most of it's phony. Yes,
1: I see. <clears throat> all right, let's dig into the synopsis of this film. This is, uh, we're just going to use the one that uh, Brian Sin wrote for uh, the Midnight Marquee Actors Series book on Lon Chaney Jr. Brian actually wrote, he wrote about Mad Made Monster for this. He wrote uh, a chapter on Weird Woman, which is an inner sanctum film in the, in the, in the mid 40s. And he also wrote the chapter on Spider Baby. So, is it just me or did he get the pick of the litter? Well, he got some good ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are uh, those are some good ones.
3: Never the less. That Weird Woman is definitely the best of the Inner Sanctum film. That's just a great film. Yeah, and then we get to those, that's, uh, which I think will be part of this series eventually, right? Because The Inner Sanctum like,
1: films, yeah, we have to make some decisions on the Sherlock Holmes series, right. which
3: may or may not be included in this. But The Inner Sanctum films will be f- interesting because those will be the one time in Cheney's career when somebody tried to take him... And give him not the type Chaney roles yeah. uh, where he's basically, most of them playing really not a very likable guy, you know, certainly not the, certainly not the lovable goofball like he's, you know, gets stuck with. And we'll have to kind of, it'll be interesting when we go to examine and see how that all plays out and if it works.
1: So, uh. Yes, I could, I could tell you what I think. I,
3: yeah, I could too, but but let's keep the listeners in suspense. We'll get to those probably in about, what, six, <laughs> seven years, I think. <laughs> let's let's, let's we... just say,
1: those, inter-sanct- those intersanctum <laughs> roles sometimes work, and yeah.
3: sometimes they don't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nevertheless, Man-Made Monster. Um, Lon Chaney, Jr., mm-hmm. uh, plays Dan McCormick, the sole survivor of a bus accident which left all the passengers but him dead of electrocution because it was a bus that crashed into uh, Mm -hmm. electrical wiring. Mm -hmm. Dan runs a mostly phony, as he puts it, carnival act as Dynamo Dan the Electric Man, and his continual fooling around with electricity seems to have given him some kind of immunity. Famous electrobiologist Dr. Lawrence, played by Samuel Hines, invites Dan to come stay at his home-slash-laboratory so that he and his colleague, Dr. Regis, that's uh, Lionel Atwell, can study his uh, his body-slash-his-phenomena. When the kindly Dr. Lawrence departs for a conference, Dr. Regis begins conducting his own experiments on Dan, using the trusting, mm-hmm. unfortunate fellow as a human guinea pig in his mad goal to create electric ele- electricity-powered automatons. Uh, with the, quote a race of superior men
3: whose only wants are electricity. <laughs> and this is, think about it, this is pre-World War II as far as America's oh, involvement yeah. in World War II, uh, but we're already getting this kind of, uh, you know, Nazi-esque Aryan race yeah, sort of yeah. master race talk here. Well,
1: yeah, we are getting some weird, yeah. uh, and this is something that did crop up in a couple of zombie movies yeah. made later in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Um you know, by, you know, monogram PRC. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But by then, of course, we're, you know, we're mm-hmm. fighting
3: Nazis. Right, right.
1: This is 1941. We're not yeah. there yet.
3: Right, yeah. You know,
1: this was shit. And it was like, holy crap. So mm-hmm. this kind of thing, you know, the, it's not as if totalitarian leaders or fascist leaders were not, were an unknown thing. Oh, right, so, yeah. So, you know, and, and let's, let's be clear, historically, uh, the, the whole, Psychotic thing about uh, you know breeding master races eugenics mm. that was a uh, big yeah. thing That's throughout my twenties. So. Very much that so. was very much in yeah. vogue as part of a kind of mm. co- uh, common, a, a kind of uh, common. Cultural touchstone for discussion mm-hmm. amongst uh, you know the upper crust people who obviously were mm-hmm. <laughs> you know were, were the better mm-hmm. people because they were wealthy. Mm. Huh, how yeah. little things change over <laughs> yeah, time, right? I know. It's just... Yes, if you have wealth, then obviously mm. you're better than everyone else. So the uh, the uh, kind of you know search for master race or the mm. idea that it's mm. possible to and, and he says these things uh, you know directly out loud to the point where mm. without saying certain specific mm. words. The whole idea is, you know, you have these teeming masses of people mm. who, you know, the world would be much better off if they weren't, you know, sucking up certain types yeah. of resources. <laughs> but we need their work. We could, yeah. use, you know, we could use their, you know, yeah. their, their, their strength mm-hmm. and broad backs to get things mm-hmm. done and to build things and to make the world a better place oh, yeah. for, you know, of course, us who yeah, actually, mm-hmm. you know, are the people who are deserving of these types of of
3: progress. See, that's one of those subtexts that okay, how do you want to read that? Because we know, obviously, there is many writers and people working in Hollywood, not as many as Joe McCarthy thought, but, you know, we do know that there were, there was an interest in communist ideas, or, you know, Marxist oh, ideas. Oh, well, they were, they were pretty so, standard. Remember, there was, yeah. a,
1: there was a communist political party in yeah. the United States, yeah. all the way through the mm-hmm. 40s. So.
3: so, I was thinking, okay, his do we read the Dr. Regis's rantings? On the one hand, when he's talking about, you know, the perfect worker, is that a pro-Marxist ex- examination of how the rich and the elite exploit the worker by treating them like an automaton or is it a anti-communist uh you know by him talking about making the perfect worker because the communists always talked about the worker everything was about the worker yeah you know how do you want to read that
1: that's just it. This movie really only dips its toes mm-hmm. into the I- those ideas, yeah, because it's just really using them as a surface, uh, yeah. you know, manifestation of this character's madness. Yeah. So I don't think that there's a that it's possible to to look at this movie and see some kind of examination, you know, either a broad one, really. Mm-hmm. Well, there is a broad, there's well, a broad way to look at it. a broad examination. We could say which is this is being espoused by
3: an obvious crazy person. Yeah. Right. You sure. Know? But it's always a wonder of just you know the the question of what what are always fun to think what are writers trying to to sort of yeah, yeah. weave into this obviously a movie for sheer sure entertainment you know Universal Studios is just saying give us the Frankenstein story in another form you know basically you yeah, know? Probably, and, and yeah. uh, so but then the writers on their own like what are they bringing to the table in their own just backgrounds or their own you know interests or their own is is you know, is always fun to speculate on. Well, I mean, there's um, no real right answer. You know, but it is. Fun well, to- no, no, there isn't. And there, there,
1: there come there comes a point when uh, I, I do love to look for those kinds of yeah. things. I do love mm-hmm. to look for you know, subtext, or just uh, mm-hmm. sometimes it's you know it's mm-hmm. sometimes it's just text. Mm-hmm. But the I do love to look for that stuff. But I do, I don't really see beyond the very obvious. You know, uh, talking this way is considered outright. Mm. indications of someone being bad yeah yeah right yeah. uh although you know uh, he he's not um he as long as he's not acting on it as far as the other characters are concerned mm-hmm. then it's just him expound you know espousing ideas he's just yeah. talking about sure. these as possibilities but the moment he starts acting on them he knows to hide these things yeah. he knows to oh, yeah. hide that he's actually yeah. acting on these so he's well aware mm-hmm. i mean he may be Crazy, however you want to phrase it, he mm-hmm. may be, but he's sane enough to know that letting people know that he <laughs> seriously believes this and act, <laughs> yeah. is acting act, on yeah. it <laughs> yeah. will get him
2: mm-hmm.
1: thrown in the housetow. Yeah, I mean, not you know, not that he's necessarily doing anything specifically mm-hmm. illegal at first, because mm-hmm. he's not.
3: And Dan is consented to this. Yeah, stuff.
1: all of this is being consented to, but um, the. <laughs> <laughs> What, what what might be being you know said what 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 it, you know what is mm-hmm. there I think there is um the broadest kind of stab at making a comment on class systems maybe the mm-hmm. idea that if someone because nobody else in mm-hmm. this film mm-hmm. espouses anything remotely resembling cl- uh, class you know classic mm-hmm. classicism no yeah. one no yeah. one is no no one is talking about um you know, uh, the teeming masses, no, no. or poor no, people, no, or right. yeah. anything of that nature. Yeah. He's the only one who's talking mm-hmm. about this subject, so mm-hmm. he's the only voice. Mm-hmm. There's no one, you know, even mm-hmm. you know, butting heads with him except you right. know his, you know, Doctor Lawrence, who's mm-hmm. not really butting heads with him. Right. He's just kind of like t- patting him on patting him <laughs> on the, the shoulder and shaking his head and going, ah, "Come on in here, I'll make some Welsh <laughs> rabbit." So this is, you know, this is uh, like I say, I think it's I think it's telling that mm-hmm. this is the most obvious indicator in the first act that mm-hmm. this guy's.
2: Nuts.
1: <laughs> but who knows uh, I, I mean like i say i don't I, I have not read an interview with george wagner but I, I suspect that um there might not have been that much thought put into mm. it other than mm. this is st- certainly something that's in the in the cultural zeitgeist the ideas mm. floating around about uh, you know eugenics and, and yeah. Uh, yeah. genetic superiority and inferiority this is the kind of thing that uh Someone like mm. <laughs> Dr. Regis,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, it wouldn't be too far off the beam for someone who, you know, was highly educated, uh, considered himself, uh, especially considering Regis obviously considers himself someone who uh, the circumstances have not treated well. Right. To find a way mm-hmm. to elevate himself in at least his own mind mm-hmm. by saying that although, you know, there, there, there are these various... Things arrayed against me. There are people, there are people mm. in my field who are too close-minded and too simple-minded to understand what my ideas are, and to mm. and are too afraid of my ideas. Mm. And so this persecution complex. <clears throat> wow, nothing <laughs> like anything we could think of in modern day. No, no but this persecution right. complex allows mm. this man to paint himself as uh, someone who's victimized yeah. and therefore able to paint. Uh, you know the teeming masses yeah. as just people who aren't really, you know, mm-hmm. aren't really worthy of serious consideration anyway. So I can use them as guinea yeah, pigs. Right. I just have to hide it from right now because all these <laughs> soft-hearted yeah. dumb ba- dumbasses <laughs> won't go along with it right now. Yeah. So, and but end- once they see the <laughs> results, <laughs> god damn it, man! Once they see the results,
3: yeah. they'll believe. And don't you just love the uh, don't you just love the the giant sprawling mansion that just happens to have this massive lab in the center of it? There, that's just. <laughs> well, I, the I
1: always love. I, I do
3: love. <laughs> I mean, it's
1: okay, great. Uh, let's let's talk about this because this yeah. is something I wanted to talk about before we got uh, got done with this film. Um, this movie sets up, and it's not the first movie to do this, and it certainly wasn't the last, uh, but it's one of my favorite odd dynamics of the mad scientist film. Mm-hmm. In a lot of mad scientist films, especially lower budget ones that mm-hmm. you get later in the, the 40s and 50s, you just have a mad scientist who has his home and in his basement or mm-hmm. you know adjacent to his mm-hmm. house, he has his mad scientist lair. He has mm-hmm.
3: his lab or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Usually with the acid bath. We didn't get the acid bath this time. But that's normally a part <laughs> that, of it, too. Yeah, yeah, we no we, we got, didn't we get, get an acid, acid bath,
1: bath. <laughs> yep, That's true. So this film has a good example of my favorite kind of odd quirk on this, which is... The good scientists and the bad scientists living under the same roof. Yeah,
3: okay? yeah,
1: yeah. It's all. If you want to talk, if you want to talk about um, <laughs> symbolism, yeah. this is you know this is yin and yang. This is mm-hmm. good and bad because yeah. Lawrence is very obviously a guy who uh, has <laughs> you know has morals, has mm-hmm. yeah. a, a desire to do the right thing, who has right. goals in mind for the betterment of society and for uh, for the betterment of humankind, mm-hmm. but wants to do things in a way. That is not harmful. Right. Whereas yeah. flip side, Doctor Regis
3: mm-hmm.
1: is a crazy motherfucker. Yeah. Who doesn't think that all these teeming masses are all that work, all, all that, <laughs>
2: that
1: uh, all, all that important to begin with, except mm-hmm. as you know, just raw material to be used. Mm-hmm. However, the superior man. Yeah. With, and, although he never, I, I kept waiting. Yeah. Going back through the movie, I kept waiting for him to say something directly about himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would paint uh, his own self-portrait mm-hmm. in a way. Using words like superior or, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, something like that, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He, he's, his he constant descriptions of himself mm-hmm. are of other people's opinions of him mm-hmm. so that he can paint, so that he can feel, because he constantly feels beset by, uh, yeah. lesser people and therefore attacked.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, painting, you know, play, playing the victim allows him to, to feel righteous in mm-hmm. doing anything to prove himself correct. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what you have is the the house of scientists. You have yeah. the good the good scientists and the bad scientists, mm-hmm. and of course the good scientist. You know, all he has to do is leave the bad scientist alone long enough, and
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: that little bastard's going to get in there and do going, Yeah, I'm conveniently going off to a conference. You, you, you mind, mind yeah. the store while I'm going here, and uh, yeah. yeah, don't kill my niece. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't rape her either. Yeah, right. Look at like
2: you're all a little bit of rapey every now. and then.
1: So yeah, so the. Um, this happens in a a number of these movies in the uh, especially in the forties. Mm. Um, like I say, the cheaper ones, you just have the mad scientist living on his own. We yeah. We, yeah, right. we got we yeah. got time to pay another yeah. actor and have mm. the you know and have mm. you know like the good scientist be there too. Mm. But there are a lot of movies where you have the good science good scientist and the bad scientist, mm-hmm. and cool. a lot of that plays in a weird way, kind of like the Lugosi Karloff uh, kind of back and forth in the Black Cat, mm-hmm. uh, where yeah. you have. Uh, what I would essentially, assume, which I would essentially say, both the characters in that movie are both bad. Yeah. <laughs> but one is a lot less bad than the other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And actually tries to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. At you know at many mm-hmm. points in yeah, the story. Yeah. And so you have to find a way or a reason for mm-hmm. the two of them to be there. Mm-hmm. And this movie actually has a good reason, yeah, yeah. which is Doctor Riggs has not been successful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Doctor Lawrence has. Yeah. And I'm a little surprised looking back at the movie. That the script doesn't play up more uh, of a, a sense of uh, anger mm-hmm. from Regis mm-hmm. toward Lawrence because of Lawrence's obvious success,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, they they don't go out of their way to talk specifically about Lawrence's success. Mm-hmm. But you don't get invited to give keynote speeches at, at right. you know scientific conferences yeah. unless you're well thought mm-hmm. of within your field. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's a that's maybe a subtle little thing, and I often wonder if there are little snippets of dialogue that mm-hmm. got filmed but left out in the final edit of the movie that might
3: have had some yeah. kind of little you know little comments here and there by Regus about. No, yeah, it's Dr. hard to Lawrence. say because you're right. I certainly didn't get any impression. I I would even go so far as to say that he, he seems. I think when Lawrence is killed, it's a, I think come I think is that is really an accident. Yeah. Now Regis quickly knows how to hide it and capitalize on it, or knows yeah. how to to work his way around it. But I don't think he initially meant for you know that to happen. And he, you know, you know I think he almost gets a feeling he's he's you know, he's kind of fond of Doctor Lawrence you know. Yeah, his, 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 he I is. think
2: he is. obviously, he does, obviously he does using
3: using like him. him, you know, yeah. obviously using him, no question. But
6: Paul, why don't you give this up? Constructive things to be done. Why do you concentrate on destruction? You call my work destructive. Must we go over that all again? This
0: theory of yours isn't science. It's, it's black magic. I believe that electricity is life. That men can be motivated and controlled by electrical impulse, supplied by the radioactivities of the electron. That eventually, a race of superior men can be developed. Men whose only wants are electricity. But, man, you're challenging the forces of creation. The forces of creation? Ah, You know as well as I do that half the people in the world are doomed to a life of mediocrity, born to be non-entities, millstones around the neck of progress, men who had to be fed, watched, looked over, and taken care of by superior intelligence. My theory is to make these people of more use to the world. By successive treatments, their bodies can be so electrolyzed that they are no longer subject to the pains and frailties of ordinary mankind. Sometimes I think you're mad. I am. So was Archimedes, Galileo, Newton, Pasteur, Lister, and all the others who dared to dream. 50 years ago, a man was mad to think of anesthesia. 40 years ago, the idea of operating on the brain was madness. Today, we hold a human heart in our hands and watch it beat. Who can tell what tomorrow's madness may be? No one, Paul.
6: Least of all, I since I, too, believe that we've only scratched the surface of electrobiology. But science through the ages has been used for the betterment of mankind, to give some faint ray of hope to these these non-entities, as you call them. But now, 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 together we've been very successful. Let's drop it for tonight. You hurry and clean up. There's some cheese and beer in the kitchen. I'll make a Welsh rabbit and we'll celebrate. What do you say?
1: So, Dr. Regis is uh, interested in uh, creating a race of superior men. To this end he exposes Dan to larger and larger doses of electricity until the formerly vivacious Dan becomes a quote walking shell waiting for the life-giving current. That's a that's a quote from Regis mm-hmm. writing mm-hmm. in his notebook. Mm-hmm. I also love older movies. Where we get to see people's extremely legible handwriting,
3: <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, uh-huh. it's in cursive, yeah. and yet
1: I can still read it. They write, they impressed. write almost
3: as if they knew a camera was over their shoulder and and, and, and then hundreds of people would be needing to read. What they I wrote. wonder. Because believe me, if it was my handwriting, oh, yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. even read my own handwriting when I go back to like I'm just like, what was I trying to say here? Oh well, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, and also the the.
1: I, I often wonder: uh, Is there was there some, were there people hired who had really good penmanship <laughs> to do those? And that, like, that was like a job you could have absolutely in Hollywood. So, yeah. Was you wrote the handwritten notes
2: <laughs> for so. each
1: for, for different yeah. films? That yeah. was your job. <laughs> and if so, how the hell did you? I mean, you just had to have yeah. like superior penmanship. I'm, yeah. I'm wondering if that was a job <laughs> or not, or if they had just they just appointed yeah. somebody mm-hmm. to do it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. When the returning Doctor Lawrence stumbles upon uh, Regus's final experiment with Dan. Regis orders Dan, whose every impulse is now controlled by me, to stop the elderly man from calling the police. At this, the now superpowered Dan breaks his former benefactor's neck. Uh, and that's the moment where mm-hmm. <laughs> Atwell's Doctor Regis character is like, Ah, uh, you uh, killed it! <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and then quickly readjusts, is He's like, like, Okay, hold on. You killed you. yeah Yeah, repeat then, after and, me. Yeah, repeat after me. You kill I say it say it with me, baby.
3: I killed him. Now here's here's one of those little conceits that uh, again, you know, you gotta love about science fiction or, or these type films in this era, is that if you can you know, I can I can okay, I can accept that he zaps him with so much electricity, Dan so much electricity that he draws such energy from it that then when he takes that away or when he's deprived of it, he has sort of an addict's reaction to Right. Okay, I'm still not quite sure how the whole mind control thing, you know, comes into <laughs> it. It's like you conveniently also makes him where he's highly susceptible to suggestion of all yeah, types. Yeah, you know, and I, I think maybe they should have dropped a little something in there about that, you know, that Dr. Regis has also been practicing hypnotism or something, well, you know, and it's
1: here, here's <laughs> the thing, and you're, you're, you're right about the, the, the odd susceptibility, mm-hmm. but only to Dr. Regis because yeah. Yeah. we oh, see him yeah, it later on when he's on being yeah. questioned by the cops, and you'd think that mm-hmm. at a certain point, mm-hmm. If he were that pliable mentally, then he mm. would start repeating things that someone else was saying.
3: Yeah, oh, it's definitely related to just strictly to Regis,
1: some right. sort of. And so, yeah, you're right. That's another thing that I wish, like I said, the the film could be a little bit longer if mm. we had some kind of indication that Regis, while you know, mm. putting him through this uh, mm. this electrifying process, was also. Talking to him and, and 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 talk, you know, speaking to mm-hmm. him in certain ways, mm-hmm. not necessarily hypnotism, mm-hmm. but just pairing yeah. the pairing yeah. the the uh, the uh, treatment as he's calling it
2: mm-hmm.
1: with some kind of verbal cue directly from him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Therefore, tying the sound of his voice or maybe even mm-hmm. just his presence mm-hmm. into. Mm-hmm whatever you know whatever this odd reaction that he's having to it which is by the way you're right I think it's very much they're very much trying to get across the idea of an addict who's being who's mm-hmm. going
3: through withdrawals if he doesn't have this particular thing and and Chaney plays uh, I like I think the scenes where he, he's obviously struggling he conveys very well you know without words you know yeah. where he's he doesn't want to keep saying that he's take responsibility for this murder. You know, you can tell he could, he wants to be saying what's really happening to him and he, and he can't, right. You can kind of convey very well, that kind of physical struggle he's going through with trying to overcome this mental block and he, you know, that, that Regis has put on him and he, and he can't do it. And that's something else
1: that I think the movie does very smartly, which is that once he is in this state, once he is someone who is quote unquote addicted to these electrical shocks, these (coughs) treatments Mm -hmm. that Dr. Regis is giving him, The character no longer has dialogue that isn't being fed to him by Dr. Regis. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. Right. And so it all has to be done Mm -hmm. uh, non-verbally. It all has to be done through, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, pantomime. It has Mm -hmm. to be done Mm -hmm. in the same way that uh, Karloff was the monster in the original Frankenstein film, 31. Mm -hmm. And Chaney does it very well. Mm -hmm. He gets it across every time.
3: Yeah. Yeah,
1: And I know that a modern viewer might sneer... At me saying this, but there are some subtle bits and pieces of acting in this that are all in Lon Chaney Jr.'s eyes mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: in the sequences. Uh, uh, most assuredly, in the scene where Regis is sitting there and um, Chaney is being questioned by the police, and Regis is there clearly just to reemphasize that he needs to say nothing but "I killed him." Yeah, you know he needs yeah. to he needs to be there. Just to make sure that those are the only words that come out of his mouth. And those are the only words that ever come out of the character's mouth again. And it's um, it's kind of creepy, and it is one of those things, like I say, I wonder if in the edit there were lines of dialogue that got dropped, you know, that get snipped mm-hmm. away. There are all kinds of things like mm-hmm. that. I'd love to see an original script, and I don't know that there was ever published an original script book for this. Was there?
3: Yeah, as it escaped me,
1: I don't remember <coughs> there being one. I don't remember there being one. If there was, I wonder if there was other dialogue.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: And, because um, I've not found any notation of such yeah. uh, from all my reading on it. Uh, Brian Sin's piece doesn't have anything on it. I didn't see anything mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the Tom Weaver Universal Horrors book either. Right. So, I still feel that there probably was mm-hmm. more dialogue yeah. Yeah. here than there. I, I would, yeah, I, I would,
3: I would think there might have been.
1: That might have... Mm-hmm. Given us more of an indication of some of the some some of the mm-hmm. some of the uh, tactics being used by Regus to kind of control mm-hmm. him, mm-hmm. but we've, we you know we've got what we've got and It works yes. just fine. Mm-hmm. But I still you know I'm always going to be curious about that yeah. kind of stuff. Ah, you know yeah. we don't we don't we we don't get uh, <laughs> we don't get as much detail. Uh, as the book "The Mummy Unwrapped" gives us about yeah. the mummy's hand, yeah. with every film, sadly, so we don't have all this information about at least cut scenes and things. Right. When Dan is arrested for the crime, he can only intone, uh, "quote unquote," I killed him over and over, and Dan is convicted and sentenced to die in the electric chair.
3: Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. <laughs> now we're both thinking.
1: Any but, first-time viewer yeah. in this film,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> can't help but chuckle. Yes, yes. (laughs) The moment
1: that that headline comes up on screen. (laughs) Ah, yes, I think we'll kill this guy by juicing the shit out of him with the only thing keeping him moving right
3: now. It's like, we're going to kill Godzilla by dosing him with radioactivity. That's that kind of thing.
1: There's that that little little boy in the front one to wave his arm and go, that won't
3: work. (laughs) That
1: won't work. (laughs) Well, when three jolts in the chair only transformed Dan into an electrically charged killing machine, um because he ends up electrocuting everyone he touches mm-hmm. Dan uses the warden as a hostage to break out of the prison and instinctively heads back toward the laboratory that moment June that's Ann Nagel Dr Dr mm-hmm. Lawrence's sympathetic niece who lives in the house as well mm-hmm. who we haven't talked about at all as, as mm-hmm. far as a character in the movie yet yeah. blame Brian mm-hmm. it's not us
3: <laughs> you sexist Brian <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, Re- Regis unfortunately uh, immediately finds her. Oh, well, she, oh, I'm sorry, June and Nagel's character uh, finds Regis's um, notebook oh. and now knows why Dan is the way he is and mm-hmm. knows what's you know, what mm-hmm. what's been going on and why why
3: her, uh, her uncle was killed. And, of course, she's wearing her nightgown, which, you know, she's prepared for being carried by a monster. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, if you know you're going to be carried by a woman and you know you're going to be carried by the monster, be sure and slip on your nightgown, because that's, you know... Well, it's, it's, it's a 1940s nightgown. Which so is almost more like a dress. It's essentially a dress with a petticoat. No, you could go mountain climbing in this thing. In this yeah. Gap. Yeah. Oh, my God, I
1: wouldn't be caught dead outside the house in something this this did. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> <laughs> and revealing, it's so revealing. <laughs> We're so far past the code now that it's like, yeah. we, can't, we can't even hint at the possibility that women have more than these strange bumps on their chests. <laughs> it's, really, it's really the only thing to be able yeah. to tell women apart from men, really. The bumps on their
3: chests and the fact that they have higher voices, that's it, right? Well, you know, this is really probably one of the most non violent altogether. You know, of Universal's movies, horror movies, is because even by 40s standards, this thing is... Let's talk about that a bit. Yeah, sure. Everything happens off screen, for the most part.
1: Right, right, right. There are so many things, and some of this may have been budgetary.
3: I think it is. I think the electric... I think the whole not showing... We don't see
1: the electric chair. We we just hear them
3: like, well, I've shocked him three times Uh now, and he's still alive. We just hear that. We never... Which is fine, because picturing it is just as... In that case, it's actually... In some cases, it's... It's it's it's, almost more fun. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. It feels feels a bit like... um, uh, I hate to say it. I mean, it's something I enjoy, but I don't know that a lot of people, you know, do necessarily. But it feels a lot like a bit of a radio play piece yeah,
3: at yeah, that point. Yeah, and I like that. Yeah,
1: but some of the things that we don't see—you're right—is mm. the violence. For instance, mm-hmm. in his escape, before he uses the warden as a hostage to get out yeah. of the place, yeah, he supposedly has killed three people.
3: Yeah,
1: which, you know, budget constraints—that—that's mm. three people. Mm-hmm. It's an action scene you don't. It's a set you don't have to build. Mm-hmm. An action scene you don't have to film. Yeah. And special effects. Mm-hmm. You know the, gl- the you know the, the glowing dead people that
3: he touches yeah. that you don't have to animate now. Right.
1: So we don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Which you know eighty six thousand bucks is all you got. Mm-hmm. That's everything right now. It gets the
3: a it gets a little clumsy when he kills the war- warden, which you also don't see because the way yeah. they have to. Tell you that is well he killed the war and the warden must have tried to get away and he killed him. It's like okay, why would you okay, why would how we would you not
1: see that? You know? And
3: you figure that they're they're trying to still keep him a sympathetic character, so they're trying to make it somehow sound like that was an accident too, but since you can't so see that's it,
1: the flip side. Is, yeah. is it budgetary every time or yeah. is it in some cases if We want to see this guy, we want to retain some sympathy for. Do we want to see him, yeah, pell-mell murdering people who yeah. are just doing their freaking jobs? For yeah. God's sake. yeah, I mean, you
3: know, I mean, come on, we've already seen him electrocute fish, so it's hard to, you know, we've already, you know, it's already a, a, that's
1: true. That is that is an odd detail early on in yeah. the movie because, okay, here's another thing. Let's talk about some of the things that Brian leaves for discussion later in his chapter on the mm-hmm. film, which is that one of the, um, the some might call it cheap, mm-hmm. but I would just say. Mm-hmm effective ways of eliciting sympathy for mm-hmm. Cheney's character early on and to demonstrate that he is a good-natured good-hearted kind man
2: mm-hmm.
1: is that Dr. Lawrence's dog course, immediately he, takes to him.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: He and this dog yeah. become inseparable. Mm-hmm. They play all the time, they do mm-hmm. all kinds of things together. They're good, they're they're mm-hmm. their best their best pals.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That is cinema Brilliance mm. for, for yeah. for as not just send him a shorthand, but just send him a brilliance mm. for demonstrating.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Here's a guy. See, dogs know. Dogs yes. know, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. Dogs and kids. If they're if, yeah. he's, if 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 the character is good with dogs and kids,
3: mm.
1: you know, yeah, they can't be all bad. As a matter mm. of fact, probably a good guy.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
1: there comes a point once he starts, you know, once he starts his touch starts to be a dangerous thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When he does put his hand in that fishbowl and kill the fish, mm-hmm. which is a really odd thing. Yeah, because I was thinking, well, if he's electric and puts his hand in water, then shouldn't that really get really weird really fast? I'm like, that was, <laughs> I mean, they could have really played with something really strange mm-hmm. at yeah. that point, like yeah. having the, like having the fish like blow apart or right. something. Right? Yeah, but much, they don't. Yeah, everyone is going to be waiting for yeah. him to accidentally fuck kill up and the, kill
3: the die. I know, because yes, exactly. Because most of the times, you know, I've, I've said it. Before I'll say it again, is the the a- animals you know pets in horror movies are the red shirts. So they're the red shirts of, of horror <laughs> movies. Nine times out of ten, if you see a pet in a horror movie, he's he's toast. You know, at some point.
1: Yep, yep, yep. And the, uh, I'm just reminded of the the animals getting fried in Mars attacks. <laughs> yeah, right.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's a herd of burning yeah, cows yeah, running yeah. away. Yeah,
3: dogs <laughs> getting blown <laughs> apart. <Yeah. laughs>
1: All kinds of stuff like that. It's like ah, yeah. clearly the villains. Yeah, no mm-hmm. shit.
3: But but yeah, as the audience, we immediately worry much more about Quirky than we do about the human characters. You know, we're like, don't, don't yeah, let don't like don't, the, don't dog. the dog.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, horribly, that is a quirk of human nature.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That as a we're filmmaker, sure. you'd be an idiot to yeah. not to not tug on. Oh, I mean, they, oh, they
3: totally know. Yeah, it's just yeah, throw out the family pet, have it get killed. It's instant, cheap with the words you used. It is. It's, it's cheap. cheap easy, it's very cheap. Cheap easy uh, emotional, you know, strings tugged there. You know.
1: Yep. Yeah. So. Once again,
3: uh, minor spoiler:
1: the dog makes it to the yes, end credits. Yes, yes, So no dog death in this. Yeah. Only, only a goldfish that we really
3: don't even see. We don't even yeah. really get to see <laughs> yeah. killed. We don't really get to know. that bloodthirsty. We just... don't really get to know the goldfish. What a shame! You know. So we don't, yeah, the goldfish really had no personalities. Yeah, and they, uh... they
1: didn't. There were really any discussions about you know <laughs> eugenics with the fish. So I don't
3: think that there was really any reason to dislike the fish <laughs> or like the fish. You're so right. it doesn't really matter but I do I did have to ask you now in that scene where he comes out and you know and he's reaching around and uh, electricity goes in his fingers did a certain Marvel supervillain come to mind at any point oh yeah because I sat there and thinking like I really wonder if because by the time Spider-Man was being written and drawn by by Lee and Ditko I'm guessing this film had already begun to make its Probably regular rounds on shot was it was part of the shock theater. It was part of the shock theater package in the fifty. So I can never wonder if at some point Stanley or Steve Ditko might have been watching late night television and just seen the Stan, this, you know, Stan seen Lee this.
1: sitting around watching late night TV, smoking
3: a J. He goes, yeah, hey, there's, <laughs> ah, idea. there's our next. You know, just, it's just just fun to. I saw that and I Thought, oh my god, it's Electro. It could have come from. <laughs> could have been inspired by. Who knows? You know, well, it It's a pretty, been, it's pretty common
1: thing, and it yeah. might be. It's good. To, it's good to note. Maybe. That uh, sometime in the mid '50s, um, the the Lon Chaney Jr. low budget uh, independent film, The Indestructible Man,
3: mm-hmm.
1: is fairly similar. Yeah, the role he plays mm-hmm. in yeah. Indestructible Man is fairly similar to the role he plays in this film.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's not as if uh, you know maybe mm-hmm. you know maybe somebody saw the Indestructible Man, but yeah. at the same yeah. time, that idea of an electrified human being,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I'm sure that's popped up in a lot of other.
3: No, oh, yeah, it was probably well. in all kinds of pulp magazines oh, yeah. and things I,
1: mean, too, I would guess.
3: Well, I know, I know, it popped up in pulp stories. That's yeah, it. yeah, that's
2: for sure.
1: Yeah, ten to one, it was in a Doc Savage story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> two, two to one, <laughs> two to one, <laughs> two, two will get you a million. Then <laughs> it was in a
6: spider novel. I'm telling you. Yeah, now. yeah. So, ah, it's good to be home. Conventions are all right in their way, but I'm for holding them all in my own living room.
0: Yes, I almost thought they pretty much a waste of time. Same old fogies with the same old theories. No, this wasn't so
6: bad. Our Latin American friends are really doing some worthwhile things. By the way, where's Dan?
4: He was sitting out in the garden just a few minutes ago. Hmm,
6: maybe he doesn't know what time it is. Juan, call Mr. McCormick. Yes, Doctor.
4: I'm worried about Dan.
6: Well, what's the matter? Isn't he happy here?
4: I guess so, but he seems to have slowed down.
6: Perhaps it's a reaction to our experiments. Well, maybe we're crowding him too much. Well, I'll check the reports after luncheon. He's coming now, sir. Yeah. Is it at
1: this point? I think we should probably say. By the way, we're going to start spoilerizing. Yeah, if you really it all don't always, want to know how
3: it all. If you don't know how it all turns yeah, out, you yeah. should stop. Go watch the film and come back. We'll because wait because we're gonna.
1: Know. Yeah, we're gonna go ahead and talk about all the way through the end. Um, um, uh, right um, now, we're gonna yeah. start talking about yeah. the final sequences, yeah. and then we'll probably backtrack a dozen different times sure. on different different points. But uh, if you're spoiler concerned,
3: <laughs> yeah. so spoiler that, intolerant, if you're uh, yeah,
2: spoiler if you're intolerant. intolerant,
3: there we go. That's good. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's good. <laughs> and you forgot to take your med Your, your, your... Yeah, it's it's
1: it's like uh, here we go, here we go. Let's let's see if this works. <laughs> oh, it wasn't. It didn't.
3: It didn't work. Damn it. <laughs> <man. laughs> Uh, sorry. I was hoping that was gonna be like a kind of a ringing bell. Today. I was thinking we do need our spoiler sound. We do need to have our own, we have a nashy, sound. Our, own our own special yeah, bloody yeah. pit Nashy Cast spoiler. I, tell you sound. What, I will come up with uh I will come up with a
1: um some kind of bizarre bell sound. I'll find yeah. I'll see what I yeah. can find. And mm-hmm. we will use that in the future. Yeah. <laughs> see folks, it's still <laughs> nine years in, a work
3: in progress. So we'll figure it out one day. We'll get good. I swear just don't hold me to that. Mm-hmm. Um well, next month is our ninth anniversary, so, you know, in February, hopefully Yeah, so, yeah, next so. month,
1: uh, nine years, starting with the Nashikabs, mm-hmm, that's true. Yep. So, huh, this trip down memory lane, brought mm-hmm. to you by <laughs> sadness. Yeah.
2: Sad little <laughs> Wasted, lives. Wasted lives. Wasted lives. lives.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> what do we have to show for it? Yeah. The gray hair, and the desire to... Kill ourselves. I understand.
3: <laughs> Is <there> anybody listening? <laughs> Does
2: anybody care? <laughs> somebody.
1: Oh, wait. We've already told them that people wrote to us. So you know, yeah, clearly yeah, okay. somebody cares. We're not going to get any sympathy out of this. So okay. <laughs> so uh, after June has found uh, Doctor Regus's uh, Regus's notebook, Regus unfortunately immediately finds her with the notebook. Mm. Uh, and there's he has this quote. He says,
3: I've always found ah. the female of the species was more sensitive to electrical impulses than was the male. Only, as states. only Alano Atul can say a line yeah. like that. And that's funny because that really is the first... All through the film, film, I've been thinking, okay, he's hitting every beat of The Mad Scientist except the coveting, the obvious overt coveting of the girl. But we finally get it in that last moment there. We finally get the lustful, Uh you know. Well, this is the right right time to bring it up. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Not in the normal way, which is, you know, you should be my... You know, electrical bride or something. You know that kind of thing. You know, but just his, he still says it in kind of scientific terms. But the lust and glee in his eyes is just you know the way he says electrical impulses. You know, it's just it's just great.
1: It's as if all the sexual lusts were, were funneled through his, his scientific theories. It's like, yeah, everything is, is is in those terms. It's really strange. Uh, anyway, yeah. so Well, here's here's the thing. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked earlier, and and this I know this seems like a side road. Before we Actually, get to the final scenes, but I think mm-hmm. it's it's relevant mm-hmm. at any point we bring it up, which is one of the reasons why this film may be shorter than normal is built into the way the script is written, because one of the normal ways in which a story of this type with these mm-hmm. characters, mm-hmm. Uh, with one female character, right, is that uh, we would have okay, well, one character that hasn't been talked about at all is the newspaper character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who's who's uh who's telling the story in uh, in the in the newspapers mm-hmm. of uh Dan's survival of the bus crash early on mm-hmm. and then continues to hang around after he spots June mm-hmm. yeah. and it being Nagel he's like yeah. well you know we'll try to ask yeah. this woman out so mm-hmm. she starts she starts dating the newspaper man
2: yeah
1: now one of the things that this that could have lengthened this film out but gets kind of kind of written out of the movie mm-hmm. is a love triangle possibly between mm-hmm. Dan, Lon Chaney's character, yeah. and the newspaper guy, right, right, and June, and just but, but they don't do it; they no, sidestep no. it completely. There's not mm-hmm. even a hint of it. Uh, mm-hmm. June talks at one point to uh, Dan's character, talks mm-hmm. to him about you know it, you know do you have you know do you have mm-hmm. a, a girlfriend or anything like that, mm-hmm. and he relates uh, the story of you know being, being in love mm-hmm. with some some woman that he worked with at a carnival and that she ran off with uh, the fire the fire eater something or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So and that's literally the only talk about romantic interests that we have with the man-made monster. We we don't have anything else there. Yeah. But a dynamic that the screenplay could have played with is not just the possibility of a love triangle where you have Lon Chaney kind of, you know, hang-doggedly, you know, looking on mm-hmm. at the the couple as they start to date and become a, and you know, and become more and more serious as the as the film progresses, mm-hmm. kind of looking on from a distance and feeling sorry for himself about the fact that he's not, you know, the apple of June's eye. Mm-hmm. But then we might also be getting those sidelong glances of, from the evil mad right. scientist yeah. the whole time as well. Yeah, and I kept expecting that. And but that's yeah. not what we're getting. There's no. never any indicator until this scene. Yeah. <laughs> at the end
3: where he's just like, and I'll have you too, my pretty. You
2: yeah. Know? It's yeah. like,
3: yeah. whoa, yeah. that came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it does really. is just, yeah. <laughs>
1: and in a way, I guess, mm. I, like I, say, I can't, I, if, if I want the movie to be a little bit longer so that there's a bit more detail mm. so that I can mm. spend a little bit more time with these characters. Yeah, and that's kind of what
3: it was with that's me. That's kind of what it yeah. is for me. Yeah. yeah,
1: but at the same time, I kind of admire the fact that having it come out of nowhere, having that you know that mm. lustful you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. approach mm-hmm. come not until the third act of the story,
3: mm-hmm.
2: with
1: absolutely no hint of it until yeah. then, is kind of
3: ballsy. I kind of like yeah. it. Well, and it kind of I think just his escalating sense of entitlement and that he's gotten away with it. I mean, at this point, he he fully thinks that he's he's snowed everybody. He's on yeah. his way yeah. to continuing to. He's on his way to continuing his experiments however he wants to. Uh, yeah, yeah, and then he's, yeah, and he's pretty much has no one to oppose him, so he thinks, and you know, so... Yeah, so he feels yeah. like he's probably... Yeah.
1: It's, it's fine to let the crazy out.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, just as Dr. Regis is is making his uh, rather odd beliefs on the female species and electricity known, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, Dan breaks into the lab and somehow overcomes Regis's uh, somehow hypnotic hold mm. to attack and kill the
3: mad doctor. What's not said, and what's usually done in these stories, is that it's be the monster's affection for the female that right. helps it overcome the its master's. And I think that's maybe what we're supposed to infer here. It just doesn't actually spell that out as much. But yeah. I think maybe that's what we're supposed to is that okay? How is he able to overcome this suddenly? This hypnotic or this kind of you know mesmerism that uh, whatever this hold that Regis right. has over him. So I think we're supposed to think it's because we've at least seen he feels the prote- kindness that he, she's shown him and that there was some kind of yeah he feels protective of her in right. some way
1: and right. and maybe that's and, and yeah you're right it's it's not there there's not a direct thing there yes. and honestly doesn't it feel a little bit more satisfying if the fact that june is there is almost beside the point he's there to kill this motherfucker you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I, yeah. kind, I kind of like that mm. attitude about it mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. because it 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 kind of means that it doesn't matter who's there, his mm-hmm. goal, the place mm-hmm. he's been going, mm-hmm. the person he's been trying mm-hmm. to get to ever mm-hmm. since he got zapped out of the electric chair
2: mm-hmm.
1: is this guy right here. And it really doesn't matter who's in the room.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And like I say, this would have been the nastiest of scenes to have him accidentally kill the dog. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, every time mm-hmm. I've watched this film in the past, I, you know, the natural place in a, in a, mm-hmm. in, a in a, film of this type for the dog to get killed mm-hmm would be as an accident as he's learning that his touch is deadly. Yeah. You know, at the midpoint of the story.
3: Yeah.
1: But man, Mm -hmm. how, how cruel would it have been for him to, to uh, backhandedly without thinking about it, murder the dog at this point. Yeah. That would, that, that was, that's just like the, the thing where, that would, that, that, that's, you know, that's, that's Mm -hmm. the, the nasty modern way of doing this thing where it's just like, (laughs) you know, tragedy heaped upon horror, heaped upon Heaped upon, you know, self-loathing yeah. at that point.
3: Yeah.
1: But, once again, people, the dog makes it to the final yes, credits. Yes, he, he so. Now, once he's killed Regus, Dan then puts on the uh, insulated rubber suit that uh, the oh. doctor... the the mad scientist Mm -hmm. had put together to allow him to retain Mm -hmm. the charge that he's given for a longer period of time so that it doesn't leak out of him as fast. Mm -hmm. So Dan clearly has enough mental capacity to know that he needs to put this suit on to keep himself alive or to at least present the, you know, prevent the, the, the precious electrical life force from running out through his touch. Mm -hmm. And then once he's got the rubber suit on, he does what all man-made monsters Mm -hmm. do at some point (laughs) point. And he picks up the nearest woman,
3: yes, and, and walks out and walks, into nowhere and walks out with her, just stroll across you know, stroll into nowhere with the girl with the girl uh, it, it, <laughs> is it just me, mm-hmm.
1: or does it seem and, and remember, I like this movie, okay, okay um, yeah, yeah but does it seem to you that the reason he picks up the girl she passes out and he sets off carrying her across the yard and into the into the woods? Is because
3: it makes a hell of a poster. <clears throat> I'm totally with you.
1: Is it just the imagery? Uh, I think
3: it was purely. This is the. This is this is one of the things that you know we give the audience in these movies. You know, this is this is one of the the. Uh, Tropes, whatever you want to call it, this is yeah, you know, one of the yeah. things that that the elements here is is the is is people go nuts over the you know the girl being carried away by the, What's mummy, the, the, monster, the yeah, whatever, mummy, the, dra- the, the vampire, monster, the whatever, dragon, vampire, whatever you the, yeah. get, whatever have you.
1: One wonders if they felt like it had the film had to have something like that mm-hmm. because it was used mm-hmm. as an image to sell the movie.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: The you know the sight of this you know rubber suited uh, you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. zombie faced uh, Lon Chaney mm-hmm. holding mm-hmm. you know Ann Nagel's. You know, passed out body. That, mm-hmm. That's a that's a piece of ad art for the film. Mm-hmm. It's uh, like I say, one wonders. We haven't had any setup within the movie
3: no. No. Yeah.
2: for him
1: having like some special affection for her, right. other than they're very friendly. Yeah, right. they, they do. Yeah. They are friends. Yeah. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. But it's not as if, like I say that kind of love triangle was there where yeah. in his deranged mind, mm-hmm. you know, someone who's, you know, still, yeah. you know, now definitely not all there mm-hmm. that his reaction would be, well, now I'll take the woman with me.
3: Mm-hmm. So I don't know. No, you're right. It's, it's, it, it it only really incredible. serves an odd purpose of, you know. of kind of putting her in the last danger, adding to right. the suspense right. of that. They have to get her away from him in some way before right. they can really, you know, attack him, you know, which they don't really, Yeah.
1: But, I mean, I mean yeah, now that at least does add something to the end here, where because the cops didn't show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the police in pursuit, Dan carries her off into the woods. Becoming entangled on a barbed wire fence, his rubber suit rips, and Dan's life-giving electricity runs out of his body into the wires until he finally collapses drained, and
3: dead. And I thought that was a nice visual. I liked that. I thought yeah. his death scene was a good one, you know, and with the, the light coming away from him down the wires, I like, oh, yeah, that's, 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 that's a, a nice visual way of showing this. You know, it's it's pretty, pretty cool effect. I do like the
1: death of the character on the barbed wire fence. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I think it's well staged and mm-hmm. it's well played. Mm-hmm. And it also is a kind of unique, mm-hmm. especially up to this point, a unique way of doing away with... Mm-hmm the sympathetic monster yeah. because the movie has given us absolutely no way to think that this guy can be salvaged from his right. predicament so he's right. he's to one degree or another a goner this mm. the, you know this character is you know one that unfortunately the the best you could ever say he's going to sit in a cell forever and stick yeah. his finger in a light socket and keep himself alive i mean <laughs> yeah. what are we going to do here right so interesting and of course it has that wonderful final moment uh-huh. uh, where He's lying there, yeah. drained of life, yeah. and Corky, the dog, shows up yeah. Yeah. and sniffs around him and then places yeah. his paws on him.
3: Uh-huh. And puts his chin down on yeah, his chest, yeah. and admit it, the the waterworks started going at that that point there. Now the, the old the old in the throat. I can't Cut. say that
1: it affected me that strongly. Yeah. No, but it,
3: it is. But it is a brilliant reason for keeping the dog yeah, alive. You know, yeah. it's like it's not. He's not a good reason for not kill the dog. Get to get this last little grace note there. You know that, exactly. Uh, over so. and,
1: and what I like is that's not uh, the final scene of the movie. I no. actually kind of like the final scene of the movie. Yeah, me too. too. Because what what the final scene of the movie is is uh, Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, played by Fred uh, mm-hmm. Albertson, who is the mm-hmm. uh, the newspaper reporter mm-hmm. that's been uh, romancing June.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, he and June, uh, back in the lab, have been looking through Regis's notebook uh, about his experiments that has that ha- you know the not- notebooks have all the details about what he did and how to do it. And Mark is talking about how this you know this is this story is going to win an a Prize, mm-hmm. and June you know mm-hmm. talks him down and says mm-hmm. you know do you really want someone else to be put through this in the future? Mm-hmm. And Mark reluctantly agrees, and they toss the notebook in the fire and burn it. Now, this is a satisfying ending to this film.
3: Well, it's I like but, the fact that it's it's the you know it's the it's the things man was not meant to know kind of ending right. without somebody standing there saying it, which right. gets you know which gets a bit
1: a bit clunky yeah, at times, yeah, you know, it's, and not can like be very clunky. This yes. is a smooth, very yeah, very yeah. very good uh, version of that particular yeah. kind mm-hmm. of of mm-hmm. scene. Yeah, but you're right. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to talk about for a minute. Yeah. Was it's exactly that? Yeah, yeah. It's the <clears> throat> 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 we will now throw away yeah. this knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> we will now
3: throw away okay. this knowledge
1: <laughs> <laughs> that somebody else who's not an evil bastard mm. might be able to use to good effect <laughs> in some other way. No, we're just going to toss that out. Fuck yeah! It. yeah. <laughs> and, I, and it's one of those things that's you know it can be very satisfying on a mm. certain level mm. as far as 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 far as a story is concerned, mm. but. All it takes is like one moment of th- thought to make you yeah. go. no 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 no
2: hang on. Yeah. yeah.
1: Not everybody's a crazy madman who's trying to create a race right. of people that he can control. Right.
3: Let's let's well, hold I mean you on. got this perfectly good lab taking up half the mansion. What are you going to do with it? You know, come on. Know like,
2: know? Let's
1: let's let's call some people who, yeah. you know, aren't crazy. We'll verify. We got, we got some tests we can run them through. And George
2: Zucko's
3: is available. Let's get George Zucco in no no, no 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 no. no,
2: no.
1: We need, we need sane people and you're, yeah. you're veering off into crazy town no no Bela Lugosi nor George I'm not even going to trust Boris Karloff because no, he plays no. mad scientist so no yeah. no 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 but the um, it's strange uh, I think um, in my younger days first seeing this film in my 20s on videotape mm-hmm. uh, I have to say I'd never I, that thought never crossed my mind but every time since then yeah You know, I think to myself, well, why are we tossing out information? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is, this is, Uh you're, you know, Mm. and here's the other thing. Mm. And this might be relevant to when this movie was made. Mm. Uh, It was news uh, by the time this movie was made that one of the things, one of the defining things that was happening in Nazi Germany was book burning.
3: Mm. Hmm. Good point. And
1: um, it seems a little odd a little strange mm-hmm. to be including what essentially is a piece of, it's a book burning. Yeah. Now granted, mm-hmm. uh it's not that uh, you know the the book burning done in Nazi Germany was done mm-hmm. to, you know, purge the the the, the fatherland of mm-hmm. uh impure and and bad, you know, outside uh, influences to to pretty much symbolically Purge these things that were destroying out because there was no feeling, there was no yeah, belief right. that they were destroying the works permanently, that they were doing away with this information. Yeah, no, nobody's That's stupid true. enough to think that these books didn't exist outside mm-hmm. of Germany for the most mm-hmm. part. But symbolic or not, mm-hmm. uh, there is something very affecting. At least, I mean, for me as a bibliophile and as someone who you know yeah. reads and collects yeah. books and yeah. just you know loves loves you know, having knowledge of mm. my fingertips in that format that there's a certain, um, tactile sense to anyone burning mm-hmm. a book, especially a notebook yeah. full yeah. of unique information, yeah. Yeah. regardless of how poorly or badly it was used by the, by the, the, by the discoverer of this information. There's still now, like I say, not the first time I saw the movie, uh-huh. but every time I see it now where I'm just kind of going,
2: <laughs>
3: you know, on another, uh, on a simpler level, maybe, maybe you know, we've seen a movie where a guy's done terrible things and been driven to you know, driven to madness by his own personal vaunting ambition and maybe it was just yeah. trying to compare the character of the newspaper Mark Adams with the Doctor Regis and showing that he talks about the Pulitzer that we see his ambition but he's willing to Yeah he's willing to pass yeah. on it for the love of the the simple married life of love with the the, the girl, you know, and that kind of thing. And maybe it's that's maybe they're trying to draw more of a parallel between him. Him and Doctor Regis than necessarily yeah. yeah
1: you're probably right yeah
3: maybe yeah. it's a it's yeah another way to look at it so
0: may i help you
4: i was just tidying up a bit how nice yes well i think i'll be going Is this
0: what you wanted go on take it read it it takes a most amazing record of the extraordinary experiment that was only completed tonight when Dan McCormick walked away from the electric chair. I knew you'd done something terrible to him. Terrible? Is it terrible that I gave him life? I have made a great discovery and I present it with a spectacular demonstration. Tonight the whole world will be talking about Dan McCormick, not a handful of musty scientists, but the whole world.
4: You mean you deliberately let Dan go to the chair when you might have saved him?
0: At first, I intended to, but... Oh, no, 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 he really killed your uncle. True, he was under my control at the time and didn't know what he was doing, but... he killed him. My efforts at controlling him, in fact, were so successful that the temptation of putting him to the supreme test grew too strong.
4: They gave him a sanity test.
0: Yes. Ironical, isn't it? Mm.
1: One of the great things about uh, Tom Weaver's Universal Horrors book is that it allows us to get a look at some of the uh, contemporary critics' mm-hmm. opinions of mm-hmm. each of these films, mm-hmm. and I find them fascinating. I really I'm do, sure, yeah. Because uh, I, to a large degree, I don't think that the uh, the there's been a lot of change with a lot of the criticisms of these films over the years. Mm-hmm. I think you know the criticisms are pretty standard, mm-hmm. and I think that's because they're pretty accurate to a degree.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah. But I find some of these, uh, uh. Some of these, well, here, I'll just read, read this out. This is uh, from the Hollywood Reporter, March 24th, 1941. As long as fans continue to demand this type of horror mystery film, Man-Made Monster is a notable example of how they should be made. Wagner's screenplay makes the fantastic premise of the original story almost believable. Lon Chaney Jr. makes a place for himself on the screen in the footsteps of his late great father. Skillfully, he handles the character changes as he becomes more and more dependent on the doses of electricity administered to him by Lionel Atwell. There are some genuinely spine-tingling scenes as the monster runs berserk. So, Mm -hmm. Hollywood Reporter, Mm -hmm. that's a thumbs up. Yeah. I mean, that really is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, From New York Daily News, March 19th, 1941. Uh, Two stars. Chaney is a curious-looking sight on the screen, but is not as frightening as his creators tried to make him. A synthetic screen story. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) mediocre in the middle, right? New York Times, March 19th, 1941. We we grew rather fond of Dan. Silly? Of course he's silly. And the picture is is low-grade shocker fair. He's always good for a laugh. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. pretty dismissive, but... condescendingly
3: enjoyed it.
1: Right, right, right. (laughs) A a glance down our noses (laughs) at it. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Harrison's reports from March 29th, 1941... The story is extremely far fetched. For that reason, an adult audience will find it difficult to take it seriously or be shocked by the action. It may, however, prove thrilling to the youngsters. One has sympathy for the killer, a victim himself of a madman, but on occasion his actions resulting from his predicament are somewhat sickening. Mm-hmm. So in nineteen forty one, you know, killing a goldfish yeah, is pretty sickening. My <laughs> <laughs> how times have
2: changed. Yes.
1: <laughs> and uh, one last one from the film from Film Daily. Uh, since the production of the so-called horror film is predicated upon spine-chilling, Man-Made Monster cleaves to its function and gets by as a program meller. Th- there's good menace and suspense. George Wagner's direction is okay, and ditto the photography. So, mm-hmm. right down the middle. That's about no, where, yeah. common, commonly, if you start talking to them mm-hmm. about this film to yeah. horror movie aficionados, in other words, people who mm-hmm. actually know the film and know the context mm-hmm. of the film... Uh, those are that's really about the range of opinions you're going to run across. Yeah, not yeah. really many people think of this as a bad film or a film no. that's not
3: worth seeing. They just think it's kind of you know they're not going to put it at the top right. rank of the Universal run either. Now they're going to say serviceable, fun, you know, you know, undemanding, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 competently made, yeah,
1: yeah. And it certainly is it all is. of those things. Yeah, and I think it's very telling. That uh, Universal was very happy with uh, George Wagner's work on this, you know, both mm-hmm. polishing the script and the direction. This and the the co-feature, Horror, Horror Island, in that uh, after this,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, they signed him to do seven more films. Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously, mm-hmm. they saw yeah. that you know this guy could we could hand this guy a low budget and he'll mm-hmm. turn in a you know a competent, well done, mm-hmm. effective story. Uh, and and he, he, the, the film the film bears out uh, it bears out. Very effectively over time. And if you look at his credits, he uh, he definitely did the, those seven films for them. And uh, his last actual feature film credits uh, were a little bigger than that by average. By the late 40s, he did a couple of John Wayne films. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. the Fighting Kentuckian and Operation Pacific. Right. Now, granted, mm. uh, things dried up after that, and I would mm. love to know why. Because yeah. by 54... He's directing in uh, television. As
3: I say, he kind of finished up doing a whole lot of television, didn't he? Yeah, a lot of television,
1: yeah. uh, and a lot of television. That, well, a lot of it I haven't heard of because we're talking about '50s television. Yeah, some of it I have, but uh, the fact that he, you know, was around, you know, mm. doing episodes of Maverick, mm. Surfside Six, mm. and Cheyenne, Man from Uncle, and finished up doing like ten episodes of the 1966-67 Batman TV series. Yeah. yeah.
3: So. Well, it could be a case of you know he got a couple of chances to direct in TV. They liked what he did, and then you just get you know because it's television, you get suddenly thrown just so much work that maybe he just never maybe. just just he obviously had enough of it to uh, keep going, and maybe just that he just got in that world and and never got back out.
1: I well, mean, now he did do one last feature in 1964 called Gold, Glory, and Custer.
3: Hmm. Not heard of that one,
1: Clint Walker film. I've never hmm. seen it, uh, but it also stars Julie Adams.
3: Really, so oh, cool. you know. All those creatures there's from the Black Lagoon. There's Lagoons a little thing. universal <laughs> yeah. connection there. Yeah,
1: yeah. So a little uh, anybody anybody who's got a little thrill for <laughs> mm. reach from the Black Lagoons," George Adams. Adams. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, you know, there you mm-hmm. go. George mm-hmm. Wagner made this film in 1964 with Clint Adam. Mm-hmm. I mean, with Clint, Clint Walker, pardon me. Oh wait a minute. I'm sorry. It's it, it was released as a feature film, but it was apparently just a couple of episodes of Cheyenne oh, that he directed kind oh, of welded gotcha. together it
3: oh, there we go. Okay.
1: Oh, that's why that little
3: surprise. That's mm. oh, that's a, that's tricky. It is tricky, tricky. But uh,
1: still, it's got Julie Adams. It'd be worth yeah. it. Yeah. So uh, that was very interesting. I'm Also, before we get away from it, I want to talk about uh, the guy who came up with the story, The Electrical Man, mm. or The Electric Man, mm-hmm. uh, Harry Essex, mm-hmm. who had a long career in film and television. Uh, his big claim to fame uh, in film was he did the adaptation of uh, It Came From Outer Space. Mm-hmm. He, ad- he adapted okay. Ray Bradbury's story into the screenplay for that film. Okay. And that's a very good film. Yeah. But he also wrote uh, the 1947 film Dragnet. Uh, he wrote one of the Boston Blackie films. The Las Vegas Stories, Kansas City Confidential, which mm-hmm. is a film noir that, mm-hmm. you know, fell into public domain. So mm-hmm. you've probably seen you've it one seen it. Or another. Yeah, yeah. The uh, 1953 Eye of the Jury. He did the screenplay for that. But then he also mm-hmm. moved into television and did a lot of TV westerns. Bat Masterson, he, oh, he did a bunch of 77 Sunset Strip, a mm-hmm. uh, bunch of Untouchables, even an episode of I Dream of Genie. Uh-huh. And, strangely enough, he also is credited with the screenplay for The Sons of Katie Elder, really? you know, the John Wayne Dean Marvel wow. film. okay. But, the one thing that <laughs> I want to point out here is that he's also responsible for making, both apparently writing and directing, one of my favorite awful films from the 1970s. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, Harry Essex is the man responsible for writing and directing
3: Octoman. Oh my gosh! Wow,
1: which wow. may hold
3: may,
1: may hold uh. the award for worst film I own on Blu-ray. Now there's a lot of competition <laughs> yeah, for yeah, that there in is. my collection. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot yeah. of None shitty too, films. but, yeah, uh, but Octoman <laughs> takes the cake. If you've never seen Octoman. Hmm. You might want to keep it that way. I don't don't know. (laughs) Proceed at
3: your own risk.
2: (laughs) Octoman, I
1: I did an episode of the B-Movie cast about a year and a half ago where we talked about uh, Octoman, and Octoman is a nightmare of a movie. Because Mm -hmm. picture somebody who got their hands on the plot outline of Creature from the Black Lagoon Mm -hmm. and then said, how can we fuck this up? (laughs) That really does feel like what Octoman is. Uh Uh It's... Mm -hmm. It's it's a terrible movie. I know that I'm, I know that there are people listening to me right now going oh, I got to see this. <laughs> yeah. And in a way you kind of do Yeah. because yeah. it's terrible. Oh,
3: it's <laughs> terrible. Oh, it's so bad. And I'm glad, to have said uh, I've already seen it and I've got that behind me now. I know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: see, here's the thing. It's mm. a movie that I know that at one time or another I'm going to have to bring to the bad movie party. Oh, yeah. Way. Oh, yeah. I was because thinking that, too. I was thinking that. Too. If you can get to the right point in the movie without everybody in the room going, I'm bored. Yeah. Once the batshit insanity yeah. begins, <laughs> it's, it's something to see.
3: Yeah.
2: But
1: he made that, and he made a co-feature, which, if you buy the Blu-ray, actually, I think the this co-feature he made at the same time... Oh, no. ...comes with it. A movie called The Cremators. Okay. And I saw Where The Cremators, that? I want to say about ten years ago, mm-hmm. and it's terrible, too. <laughs> I mean, it's bad. So, Harry Essex, man, he did a lot of great work. But then... Mm-hmm. In the '70s, he did not.
2: Yeah. I just I want that
1: known. Yeah, and I I, I I I toyed with not bringing up Octoman when we discussed this movie mm-hmm. because Harry Essex really only like came up with the story. Yeah. that they they fashioned into mm-hmm. this film. Mm-hmm. You know, sold this story in 1935, and I still want to drag his name through the mud because of, <laughs> because of Octoman and the, and the Cremators. But I just I, I I had to. I couldn't stop myself because let's be honest, man. Octoman's on Blu-ray. What is wrong yeah. with What is wrong with the world? Where are we? How does this happen? This is this is. Huh. We managed to get through this without talking about Lionel will's Christmas Eve orgy though. <laughs> yeah, we did. That's true. That's true. So I, feel, I feel that we've accomplished a little something there. <laughs> yeah So, <clears throat> so folks, Man Made Monster. Troy, what do you think? What, what did you end up giving it on the <clears throat> one to ten scale? What, what, do, you, what do you feel Man Made Monster should get?
3: Well, I gave it a seven. Oh, because okay. I think it does what it is probably was originally intended to do quite quite well. Um, you know, we can talk about the fleshing out of the story we might have liked to have have seen in the characters, but I don't think they, they wanted an hour-long, you know, programmers yeah. as they call it. Uh, they wanted, I think, a film that fits... It's a genre that I, I think, if you can call it a genre, it's a type of film that I, I've always kind of enjoyed, and it's a kind of particular to the 40s and a, a, bit, uh, a bit into the 50s is, uh, I guess, what you'd call a gothic sci-fi, where, you know, it's a science fiction theme film, but you can tell that they're still trying to yeah. shoehorn it within that universal horror that what had what had made their name or what had gotten them a lot of bucks anyway. And yeah. so with this film of this type where you've got you've got labs and you've got scientific concepts, but you've also got people wandering through dark, you know, woods and you've got shadows in the wild. I mean they even I even love the fact that the area that the that the Dr. Lawrence's mansion is in is called the Moors. You know,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: You know, you've and you've got the monster carrying away the 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 girl. Of course, yeah. So I think it was uh, they were at the and like I said that you can almost kind of think of Plan Nine as that, uh, from outer space as a very sort of late entry into that type of, of thing. There, you know, <laughs> true, I, 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 But true. just to kind of still capture that same sort of. Let's give people the misshrouded graveyards at the same time that we give them, you know, flying the flying yeah. saucers. You know, and, and so I think this it's it's that kind of genre that I I, I enjoy a lot. You know, in that time. I think it's well acted, you know, I, I, yeah. I like how the characters. Uh, well, I
1: think uh, At will takes the cake, but Longini's
3: yeah. very good in it. He is, uh, and Ann Nagel, again, I, uh, getting back to her character, really, uh, I thought it was cool that June, her character, is really the one that, she's the only one that really notices that, I mean, something's going wrong here, you know, she's the one that kind of <laughs> yeah. drives the, yeah. besides what, doc, besides Dr. Regis' evil deeds, you know, she's kind of the counter to that, is that really she's the one who, throughout the whole film, is noticing what really should be sending up a red flag to everyone around her, you know, but she's the one who's like, look, there's something seriously wrong with Dan. I don't trust this doctor. And she's the one who even makes, you know, when she's on the date with Mark, you know, she's the one who makes him stop and says like, I can't do yeah, this. She, something, she's, something's yeah, she's wrong. So back home, about, back. Yeah. And I, and I like the fact that her character was given that much of a, you know, intelligence. Yeah. There. Yeah.
1: I think it's interesting that, uh, all of the characters in the movie, except Lynn Latwell are likable characters. Yeah, yeah. And I think that one of the things that makes them all likable is we don't have that kind of almost expected, you know, lo- love triangle going on.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: and um, because, of course, once again, as soon as you talk about the fact that she's the one that notices early on that something's mm-hmm. going on with mm-hmm. Dan, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it it would, you know, it's such a natural play into that, mm-hmm. that kind of thing where mm-hmm. she she she's... So keyed into how he how he reacts to her mm-hmm. because of his attraction the, mm-hmm. the, the attraction that isn't there in the film as, yeah. we, as we have it, but that would be the, the the thing that you know she would notice it dropping away.
2: Mm-hmm. She would notice
1: mm-hmm. that he you know he's it's not there anymore. And at first she might might dismiss it as kind of the natural outgrowth of her having made a choice and it not being him. Mm-hmm. But then starting to realize no 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 this is something different. Mm-hmm. But then again that would take more running time. That would take yeah. more you know that would take more that would take a couple of more scenes mm-hmm. and like you say yeah they wanted this thing to be an hour it's clear yeah but once again that running time, that abbreviated running time, is another thing that once it, it, it indicates to me that they they probably trimmed this down from mm-hmm. just a slightly longer yeah. length. Yeah. Probably not, not, you know, they didn't chop,
3: chop half an hour or even 15 yeah. minutes out of it, but they did trim it down a yeah. bit, I think. But they were thinking in, do- in terms of double bills by this point. You know, oh, yeah. It, this yeah, this and, uh, went
1: out as a double bill with. Uh, yeah, we'd say with Horror, Island, horror Island.
3: Island. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not a great film, but. Uh, and it's a very cliched film. I mean, it's, it's it doesn't do anything really new if you were to describe the basic. Plot elements yeah, there, you know, but but it but it it takes a new, but what it visually shows you is something that hadn't been seen a whole lot before. So you know, it taking the the basic big plot points and kind of doing some cool stuff with them.
1: Oh, and it has some real energy
3: too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, think and so. The
1: energy, the energy doesn't just come from the, the short running time either. So no. I, I think a lot of that it is, comes from the actors. It, it starts off with from, a bang. Yeah, you know, yeah that, that, that amazing scene at the beginning mm-hmm. and the the ending is very bracing. Yeah. Uh, even though, the, you know, we talked mm-hmm. about the, mm-hmm. the kind of moments that, you know, we're, we're not seeing him in the electric chair mm-hmm. and things like that. Things that are either budgetary or mm-hmm. made, made as a choice to, so that we don't see this sympathetic character
3: do things that we don't, that mm-hmm. won't give us any sympathy mm-hmm. for him at all. What I've often said is the the difference to me between a six and a seven in ratings is the seven is the film that I'm, is a film that I could see myself, you know, watching again at some point, you know, okay. just choosing to like, oh, I'd like to see this again at some point, you know, whereas the sixes may be ones that I think Maybe, are like, did okay with what I did, but I just probably won't, you know, probably won't get that urge to see but you know, this is a film that, that, that I think I could return to every now and then and, and, and enjoy it. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, that's that, that's interesting you put it that way because i I fall on
1: I fall with a six on the scale okay. because mm-hmm. because I, I do. I mean, there are movies I would rate a five or a six as mm-hmm. well that I that I generally return to on a fairly regular basis just because mm-hmm. of some in you know something inherent within them. Yeah, uh, you know, five is you know five mm-hmm. is, you know a marginal film that, that mm-hmm. I don't think is necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. Six is one that I think is actually pretty good, but mm-hmm. not exceptional. Mm-hmm. And it falls into that category. And I, mm-hmm. the reason that I say six instead of seven is like I say, the thing that will draw me back to this film mm-hmm. are the specifics within it. Mm-hmm. Lionel Atwell playing a mad scientist. Yeah. Lon Chaney turning mm-hmm. in the first of what would become many mm-hmm. of these types of roles for universal. Yeah special effects, mm-hmm. the, the the short length. I'll be mm-hmm. honest, the short length is one of those things that draws me to films like this because, mm-hmm. man, you can just, you know, yeah. it's, it's like, it's like mm-hmm. you know, eating popcorn. They're, they're <laughs> fast and fun. You're right, yeah. And so it's not as good as some of the films that are coming down the pike.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it's no, no, It's not.
1: not. Right. Uh, my memory is mm-hmm. that I liked, and I haven't watched it in years, so this could change. My mm-hmm. memory is I liked Har Island better. Okay. My, my knowledge is I know I like The Wolfman better. Mm-hmm. I know I like Ghost of Frankenstein more. Mm. Things of that th- things mm. of that nature. So those are the things like playing in my mind that mm. we'll see as we go through this over time, see how those yeah. things alter. Oh yeah. Yeah. But uh it it it's a good film and one that I think puts us puts us in the right spot. This actually feels like this movie, if it wasn't for a couple of the movies that we covered mm-hmm. that came out in 1940. This is the movie that actually feels a lot like we're starting the 1940s universe. Yeah, films. I agree with
3: that. I agree with that. Um, yeah, the other films like Invisible Man Returns almost seem like a. Uh, they're almost holdovers. Yeah, they almost feel like yeah, exactly. Yeah. They almost feel like they're kind of the tail end, trailing off right, the end of the right. 30s feel, and now we're starting to get into yeah, starting to get into 40s feel. The, yeah. the
1: only the only movie from last year that I don't think feels that way is The Mummy's Hand. The mm-hmm. Mummy's yeah, Hand yeah. feels like. You know another one that's that's like kind of the start of something mm-hmm. because it is, because it's yeah, the start right. of you know a yeah. four film series, yeah. But this is the movie that, in a, in a weird way, feels like, yeah, we're definitely in Universal 40s territory here because mm-hmm. it's you know, it's a marked notch down from the 30s films, mm-hmm. but still rock solid, yeah. That's Man Made Monster. Um, tell you what, give us a moment, we will take a, a small a little uh break here, we'll come back. And uh, we'll discuss uh, a few other things, tell you what we've got coming up in the next couple of months, and deal with a couple of pieces of, uh, I, won't, I won't call them fan mail, yeah, i I'll just call them emails <laughs> from, some, from some listeners, <laughs> fan mail from some from some flounder, uh, back momentarily. The ghosts are moving
5: tonight, restless, hungry. All right, fellas, here's your story. Greetings, my friend.
4: We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And we cannot keep this a secret any longer.
5: Wait, Captain. I have found evidence of intelligent beings on
1: this planet. Look to the skies. It's the Bee Movie Cookbook. Menus inspired by 15 of your favorite B Movies
4: from the 1950s, with teenage
1: werewolves, blobs, and enough cheese for everyone.
4: When we return to our planet, the High Court may well sentence you to torture. But until then, we've got Ed Wood and Vincent Price.
6: There'll be food and drink and ghosts, and perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited.
1: So impress your friends with dinner and a movie with the B-Movie Cookbook. We've got you covered. Get your copy today at bmoviecookbook.com. That's bmoviecookbook.com.
4: Let me see that book. I am interested to see what sways your mind so heavily. Sure thing. Just visit bmoviecookbook.com.
1: The following is a message from the American Podcast
6: Council.
2: We need your help. Podcastophobia strikes four out of five Americans every day, and chances are that someone you love, or could love given time, is currently suffering from this devastating affliction. But it doesn't have to be that way. For zero dollars a day, you can help. Please, make some time today to let just one person know about a favorite podcast of yours— it can be this one, but it doesn't have to be. But it probably should be, but seriously, no pressure. And show them where to find it and how to download, play, and subscribe to it. And tell us what you recommended. Use the hashtag TryPod. That's T-R-Y pod. Thank you for speaking out. And thank you for listening.
1: Alright, welcome back. This is Rod. Uh, hold on a second. we We've all, uh, I thought we had three pieces of email. We've only got two. Uh, that means that there's a third. The other one was just
3: a bill. Yeah. The, <laughs> yes. other one, the other one was a summons. Yeah.
1: <laughs> a summons that I have to you know, yeah. shred and pretend I never saw. Uh, but uh, hold on one second. We've got two pieces of email here we'll get to. and uh, Let me read this out and then we'll go from there. This is from Joe. Uh, I'm not sure if that's his real last name or if... Anyway, he signs it with Sincerity Joe. So I'm just going to call him Joe. Try not to give out last names here unless I'm giving permission. So he says, Rod, hope you had a fantastic holiday. Keep doing what you do. I'm an avid supporter of both the Pit and the Nashicast."
3: Oh, wow. A man who has time for both. That's a sense of it, yes.
1: Uh, this note is probably best fit as a reply to the original post, but I, some, I prefer a more intimate venue, not for my missives. Watching the extras on one of the recent Severin Diamato Blu-rays, that would be Absurd, uh, Anthropophagus, Mm -hmm. or uh, Moss. He's not sure. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: He says, Clued me into Film Mirage. Fi- Film Mirage, by the way, that's a production, uh, a production company, an, an, an Italian production company, or maybe just European. I think they were Italian. Should it have surprised me that my quest for more info on this venture brought me to your blog? <laughs> Do all roads end in Tennessee these days? <laughs> he says, I'll let you decide. Anywho, have you dove any deeper into Film Mirage? seen anything else that I need to check out. I don't know what what it is that fascinates me about these weird, cheap Italian oddities. There is something alluring about their languid, dreamlike pace. And is it just me, or do they all look like Joe Joe D'Amato rubbed some leftover Vaseline from his sex films over the camera lens on all these movies? I love going down these bizarre movie rabbit holes. After all these years of being a movie buff, there is still so much to discover. Feel free to use this as you will... Uh, discuss it on one of your podcasts or print it out and post it at your work desk, I don't mind. <laughs> with sincerity, Joe. Okay, for the uninitiated film Mirage, what he's talking about is a production company, an Italian production company, that I think that was formed in the 80s, maybe 1980, and was a primarily a uh, production uh, house for uh, things done by Joe D'Amato. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Aris- uh, <clears> okay. <throat> Aris- I'm trying to remember his, his actual name. Ar- Ar- Aristide, um, oh God, I can't remember his last name. It starts with an M. Anyway. Mm-hmm. They seemed to specialize in producing um, horror movies in the 80s. And this being an Italian production company producing you know, movies in the 80s, mm-hmm. uh, the budgets got smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. You know, it was yeah. harder and harder to actually you know, string these things together through various you know, ways mm-hmm. of, of uh, finan- you know, bringing together financing to do these things. So a lot of these movies <laughs> that are film mirage movies are famously terrible. <laughs> okay. Uh, to give you an example, some of you may be aware of a film called
3: Troll 2. Oh yes. That's a film Mirage oh, production. Oh. Okay. So if they had done nothing else, they would have achieved immortality by <laughs> yes, by, <laughs> by by producing Claudio
1: Troll, Faragasso's yeah. Troll 2. Insane Troll 2. <clears throat> but also that movie is a good indicator of what they were doing at the time, which was oftentimes they were trying to find uh, a way to film these movies in the United States, because one of the things that got harder and harder to do was to mm-hmm. pretend that these movies made in Europe were somehow taking place in the States. Yeah. So, uh, one of the ways that... Uh, a lot, well, For instance, because Troll 2 was shot in Utah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, <clears throat> a lot of these movies, and I've now seen... I haven't seen all of them. Uh, one day I probably will, because I'm a very sick man, much like mm-hmm. Joe. Mm-hmm. But, one of the great things about these movies is they are whacked out insane. Mm-hmm. And, now... Screen Factory has actually put a couple of, uh, put I think at least four of them out on Blu-ray in double feature sets, which means that you can see them in just the best way possible so that you can realize that you've wasted your money.
5: <laughs> uh, or not wasted your money, I don't,
1: know about it. I don't know. Here's one of the things about these movies that, that gets kind of surprising is that every now and then, accidentally, they're fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, uh, most of the time they're fun. But accidentally, they're effective sometimes.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I have found myself actually enjoying a number of these movies. There's one Linda Blair was in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I, I think it's called Witchery. I can't, no, I can't no. remember. Witchery or Witchcraft. And then mm-hmm. one called Ghost House. Mm-hmm. And in- Interzone. Uh They, once again, didn't shy away from trying to pretend that their films were... Uh, sequels to a much more famous yeah, movie. Course, so yeah. you got like House Three or things like that. <laughs> right. Because of course Troll Two is another mm-hmm. famous example of that. Yeah. But the joy about going through the Film Mirage movies is that it would be you'd be hard pressed to think that any of them are, you know, classic cinema. Mm-hmm. But they almost always find a way to be entertaining, even if only in spots are the qualities mm-hmm. of entertainment something you would like recommend to someone else. <laughs> rather than you just feel like you're wallowing in bad film joy
3: <laughs> that's mostly what they are <laughs> you said the uh, they're responsible for uh, that was they put out absurd and uh,
1: was it oh, oh oh so now unless I'm wrong like the ATOR movies were film mirage movies mm-hmm. they did I, I, they did a few they produced a few um, post-apocalyptic movies because oh, of course we're talking yeah. about the 80s, 80s. so oh, we're talking sure about we anything yeah. you know post-road warrior right yeah a number of these movies, by the way, are famous for having ended up in one form or another on Mystery Science Theater, like Quest for the Mighty Sword. Mm-hmm. So you know, oh, yes. remember yeah, once yes. again it's the '80s, so we're yeah. getting the occasional you know like fantasy, fantasy epic, yeah. epic and massive yeah, where quotes
3: you, where you take Warriors Lost World words like that and just sort of shift them around in different order and yeah, you know. exactly. Kingdom exactly. is another one. Throw Kingdom in there. Yeah. <laughs> Kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: they also produced some of the last movies that. Uh, Lucio Fulci made as well, Mm, which in Italy, I think they went, they were, they were, they were, some of them were television movies like Door to Silence, Mm -hmm. but I think they got released to theaters in some countries. There were at least, you know, three dozen or 40 of these things, Mm -hmm. and not all of them are gold. Some of them are sex films, you know, just basically Mm -hmm. erotic, erotic films of some type or another. Mm -hmm. So, not really my cup of tea necessarily is something I want to collect or, you know, delve into more than once or Mm -hmm. get halfway through it and realize, okay, I'm checking out of this. Yeah. Because let's be honest, most of these movies are Joe D'Amato movies or, or movies that Joe D'Amato might yeah. <laughs> would have his hands in one way yeah. or another. Yeah. So if you com- if you think about if you've seen Troll Two, if you think about the, the level of kind of madness that Claudio mm-hmm. Faragasso mm-hmm. brought to that, yeah. that's kind of similar to most of them. Mm-hmm. There's the occasional one that that might rise above that that might be a little bit better. I'm a big fan of Ator. I think I think mm-hmm. Ator the mm-hmm. Fighting mm-hmm. Eagle mm-hmm. is a fun movie. Oh, yeah. I, I think that it shows its budget very easily, yeah. but it's still something that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and if you want to have some real fun, watch the Ator sequels because <laughs> by the time <laughs> you get to the third Ator oh, movie, boy. you are talking about a movie. I don't even know if that's a film mirage movie. I guess it has to be, but if you once you get to the third
2: mm-hmm.
1: Ator movie, it's like, it's it's like this bizarre experimental art film done as an ATOR movie. It makes <laughs> it's just the strangest thing ever. Um, as a matter of fact, that's something I might, I might need to show more people tour three because it's it's madness on a stick. Yeah. But Rush mm-hmm. it's something worth delving into. But you really I gotta warn people don't take this as um, some kind of endorsement yeah. because you, you may having already listened to some of the titles. You may already know if you're
2: you're <laughs> you're the
1: right person to delve into these movies like Joe and myself uh, uh, because they're an acquired taste is the nicest way to put it. Hmm. so hmm. if 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 you find you have the taste for them, mm-hmm. it's really hard to stop.
3: Yeah, I bet
1: but they're <laughs> really questionable. So yeah, there's that. Okay so right, cool. Okay, the second email comes from uh, uh, someone. I guess we just have to start calling uh, uh, repeat correspondent uh, Matthew. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a he's a college professor up northways, mm-hmm. uh, not into Canada, folks. I'm just trying not to tell you where he lives. Mm-hmm. He says, "Rod and friends, hope all is well with you, good folk. Anyway, just wanted to shoot out a quick email on a few points. First off, job well done on the last two podcasts. I had never heard of Hell Drivers before you chaps covered it." Uh, need to seek out a print of this before classes start back on January 14th. I uh, hope, hope you got there, man. Also, well, also job well done on the Christmas Evil episode. Always felt that film was absurdly underrated. Glad you folk took the time to dissect it. Also, I need to thank you guys for provi- providing me a solid five minutes worth of hysterical crazed laughter. He says, he says the quote, Maybe one day a real snow will come and wash all the Grinches off the streets. <laughs> <laughs> the, that took the two of us. It took you and me, Troy, to come up with that one in the Christmas Evil episode.
3: And Hood. And and,
1: and I, I I started tossing that. Well, that whole taxi driver riff we all three yeah. went on. That was insane. <laughs> that was insane. Um, glad you enjoyed that one, Matthew. Glad you enjoyed that. I did feel it was yeah. a moment of, of, sheer, of sheer mad joy that
3: we yes, came to Yes, it was. One. it was. Although I was disappointed that we, on air, didn't realize that the obvious name for that film would have been Slay Driver. We came up with that afterwards, but I was thinking, like, oh, I wish we had thought of that at the time. Yes, yes, Slay Driver. <laughs> Martin Scorsese's Slay <sleigh> Driver. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. He says, uh, second point of business, mummies. Okay, now we're talking. Oh, hang on, oh, hang
3: on, uh, hang on, uh, hang on. you better be on my side.
1: As we academics are privileged enough to get close to a month off around the holiday season, I spent my time not dedicated to course prep, textbook chapter edits, to plowing through the Hammer Mummy films. Now, the first film from 1959 is an absolute classic. Love that movie. Yeah, yeah, I can can agree more, yeah. He says, uh, probably my all-time favorite Mummy film, and in my opinion, one of the best things Hammer ever did. Once again, I have to agree. Uh, I do too. The the three sequels, however, are kind of all over the place. Curse of the Mummy's Tomb from 1964 sort of sucks. Going to be honest, that one is pretty void. The Mummy's Shroud from 1967 has some really interesting artistic points and a great ensemble cast. Blood from the Mummy's Tomb from 1971 is kind of a wonderful mess. It deals with some really cool themes and is based on some interesting source material. That would be, of course, Bram Stoker's Jewel of the Seven Stars. Good cast, too. Andrew Keir is... Particularly, uh, particularly deserves a lot of credit, considering he took over his role after Peter Cushing pulled out of the project due to the death of his wife. But the limited budget really shows here. Director Seth Holt also straight up died at some point during production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. I, I believe it's I believe it's Jimmy Carreras who finished shooting the movie. Yeah. If memory serves. Um, as such, the film seems weirdly uneven. Now, as Rod is Mister Mummy, I should be curious. To hear your thoughts on the three sequels, I mean, am I being too hard on these? Is the first film so good that it's clouding my critical judgment? Some okay, I'll I'll take a pause here and say, uh, yes, the fact that you don't love all of them means that you're being far too cruel. No, of course not. <laughs> first of all, I would actually take uh, I would take um, exception to you calling the other three Mummy movies sequels. I see all four of those Hammer Mummy films as completely disconnected from one another. Yeah, I don't I don't yeah. see any real yeah. thread between any of them, yeah. leading one to the other. They're just separate mummy stories produced by Hammer. They, they they seem separate entities to me, so I wouldn't even call them sequels. But uh, my thoughts, I'm probably a little kinder to the second one because, well, I'll be honest. Right now, I my memories of it are, are kind of dim. I can't remember. It's been a while since I rewatched it. I've always felt The Mummy Shroud got, gets short shrift mm-hmm. because when I first saw it, when it first came out on videotape over here in the States from uh, Anchor Bay... I remember seeing it and really enjoying it, and then hearing nothing but derisive comments about it for years after the fact, mm-hmm. and which made me go back and rewatch it again, enjoy it, and then listen to the derisive comments again and going, "What the hell are they seeing in it that's so bad mm-hmm. that I'm not seeing?" So I, I agree with you. I think the Mummy Shroud is 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 a pretty good little film. Uh, Blood from the Mummy's Tomb is an odd. It's an odd film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's one that very much tries to take a different tack on the whole mummy idea. And I think that that's one of the things that makes it very interesting. <laughs> that and its female
3: lead. Ooh, yeah, uh, so you, you said it, I didn't, but I was thinking it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I enjoy all four of them. Yes, to a degree, the incredible high quality of the 1959 film mm-hmm. is it casts a long shadow over these other three films, sequels yeah. or not. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think you may be right about that, especially if you watch them, and this is a tricky thing, if you watch them in close succession to each other, if you watch them one after the other, that the, the qualities that are so solid mm-hmm. and so subtle and so sharp in that original film, if you're looking for that kind of thing in those sequels, It's a different bag. It's it's different creators. It's different actors. It's a whole different production uh, staff. It's a very different animal. And, you know, they weren't aiming Mm -hmm. to accomplish the same thing. Very different stories. Mm -hmm. You know, by the time you get to Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, they're trying really hard to make a mummy movie without a mummy. And I would say to a degree, succeeding. You're not wrong about the production problems uh, causing problems for Blood from the Mummy's Tomb. That's always been one of the things about it that kind of gives me uh, pause when I want to criticize certain elements of it because there's almost no way to know in detail what, you know, what some of the things that feel kind of helter-skelter about its construction, you know mm. wh- whether they come from the way it was originally intended or if it's something that they had to paper over or redo or, or change around because of the production problems. But I do enjoy all of them i would i kind of agree with like i say i need a i need a more recent viewing of the second one but um we're we're probably simpatico on where they would fall in a in a in a quality contest it's just a question of of uh, me kind of enjoying the 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 genre of mummy film or subgenre, i should say a bit more than average and um yeah I I agree with you the the 1959 film is my favorite mummy film of all time as well Mm -hmm. followed Mm -hmm. immediately by uh,
3: Nashi's mummy film Mm so and I um, my problem with the hammer film mummy films is that I've kind of had the opposite thing is I've seen them over spread out over such a long time you know I've I've seen probably each of them two or three times but spread out over decades so it's real hard for me to sit here and, and totally compartmentalize you know they sort of are bleeding together in my mind too um Certainly, I remember the 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 female <laughs> lead that we were talking about. You know that is, that is so amazing. And uh, and when he said Andrew Kier, that reminded me. Okay, I know which one that <laughs> one is. And my memories of them, my memories of them are certainly as what you said that they're not connected to each other in any way. You can't really almost no. view them as a series other than just Hammer taking occasional stabs at another classic monster type. But my memory is that I, I enjoyed to some degree all of them. But I really do need to revisit them closer to one another so that I can get a real more distinct idea of what each film is before I can really speak at length about them. Well, I mean, are you really going to be upset to rewatch Valerie Leon? Uh, you know, just no. I think... Uh, <laughs> you know, it's something when you say a, a Hammer actress stands out, you know, considering <laughs> how many and oh, yeah. beautiful, but the fact that she still lingers in the memory. <laughs> she truly does. And uh,
1: Curse, Curse of the Mummy's Tomb... It may be the weakest, although I do have some real affection for it because the the character played by, um, oh god, the the the, the guy the, the guy who's financed the the whole thing and is such an asshole. Oh yeah, yeah. The character is such the about, character yeah. is such a he's, he's such a shyster. And, you know. Yeah, I really I really do <laughs> that actually is enjoy actor, him in the movie, Yeah, you know? the guy plays him well, and yeah. yeah although you know the the standout besides Valerian uh-huh. and Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, obviously, but the standout performance in in those three other Mummy films. Uh, for me, is strangely enough, is just the fantastic performance from Michael Ripper in The Mummy Shroud.
2: Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. Ripper yeah. is
1: always good. Oh yeah, but he has a really great role and a very mm-hmm. sympathetic role in uh, The Mummy Shroud, and that, that that's one of the that's one of the joys of going back and seeing that movie again mm-hmm. because I think he's so good in that and he has a much larger role than he normally has yeah. in these movies because. He's yeah. not
3: just the bartender in yeah. one yeah. scene kind yeah. of thing. Yeah.
1: He's, not, he's not a guy who has like three scenes and four mm-hmm. lines. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. a guy who actually is a character in the story. Mm-hmm. And that one kind of puts The Mummy Shroud as kind of probably my favorite of those three. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Which, once again, like I say... For years I kept hearing people say bad things about the Mummy Shroud, and thinking that and telling me, telling me it's crap. And I'm going, I just saw it and I really liked it. <laughs> I don't understand what are you, yeah. what are you seeing that I don't? <laughs> but uh, so I guess in a way we kind of, wait, but maybe Matthew, we should just all sit down together mm-hmm. and watch the the least liked one and pick yeah. it apart, which yeah. would be Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. Maybe maybe that's what we ought to do. That would be mm-hmm. a good there idea. There you
5: go. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going
1: to say let's do a podcast on it, but that's you know <laughs> it's probably coming down the pike one day. <laughs> Alright, back to his email. He says uh, Matthew says, Anyway, one final point. Just wanted to clarify something from my previous email. Rod, don't fear the Lithuanian beers. <laughs> only the werewolf and things of that nature. The vast majority of Lithuanian beers, and for that matter, most beer from Central Eastern Europe, are very good. Rod, you can attest to this. You know that I was the only weirdo drinking Czech Pilsner until 2 a.m. at the Monster Bash Hotel bar. <laughs> okay, that's true. There is quality stuff to be found in post-iron curtain spaces. However, for some strange reason, nearly every brewery in that part of Europe brews one high ABV beer. These are essentially post-communist malt liquors, usually labeled as strong or export beer. Avoid these. They are awful. I mean, if you're in the whole more bang for the buck thing, sure. But I think we are all beyond that point in our lives. And even if I was going to go in that direction, I would not be going toward post-Soviet hobo fuel. (laughs) He says, hell, I would just get some good old Colt 45 and dress up like Lando Calrissian. (laughs) Apologies for the rambling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hope you had a groovy holiday season. Rod, glad you enjoyed the book and the Russian chocolates. Oh yes, yes. He sent me Russian chocolates and Ooh. I was supposed to share them with you and you did not get any. Oh. Uh, oh, wow. Beth ate them all. Ah. Uh. Is Beth? It wasn't me. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm yeah. I'm going to I shouldn't have read that part out loud. Man. Hey, you don't know anything about the Russian chocolate yeah, story. Don't, wow. sh- no. No. Wow. Also, so, we, we, we'll talk off air. I'll, I'll yeah. do some penance, something. <laughs> uh, also, thank you for the recommendation on the Mondo Macabro print of Nash's El Comandante. A uh, great print. Uh, yes, of course, because mm. uh, Mondo Macabro does great work. And uh, they, they released it under the title The, the, uh, the Devil Incarnate. And uh, yes, it's a great. Disc and it's a great film, probably Nashi's greatest work. Yeah. We, we, I mean, I think you still agree with it, right?
3: Yeah, I think it's actually his greatest, you know, achievement, and probably you know, next to *Horror Rises from the Tomb*. Probably, you know, my, maybe I mean definitely one of my favorites. You know, oh, yeah. know, that you know, right up there in the top top five. But as far as his most impressive work yeah, as a director, I would say that would be El Comandante. Cool, cool.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I
3: agree. So he's, uh,
1: he's uh, he says, uh, "Stay good, comrades." Das yours Matthew and I won't give out his last name but he does live north of us which means that we're southern lunatics in his eyes I'm sure (laughs) and in our own oh definitely in our own I think (laughs) we all know that (laughs) so uh Once again, if you would like to contact us, you can email us at thebloodypit at Mm -hmm. gmail.com. If you have any comments about the uh, universal horror films of the 40s that we're working our way through, you can also contact us or say something spiteful or strange or weird over on our Mm -hmm. Facebook page.
3: If you have anything of a chocolate nature to mail, you need to (laughs) ask me first for what the address to send it to is. Don't listen. Don't don't listen, people. (laughs) Troy does
1: not properly (laughs) enjoy russian chocolate the way that i do yeah. and i think that it's probably best that all things of this type if it's perishable send it to me
3: what do you mean and what are you talking about i march out in the snow while i'm eating it how can we <laughs> And how could you i could be more how can you be more russian than that
1: <laughs> okay okay i can i can see that i've unfortunately read the yep. wrong email and now now i'm gonna have to explain myself away this is bad this is mm-hmm. bad but once again thank you all for writing in and uh We'll uh, we'll hope that more people write in, yes. and that I Please. I edit these emails. And so you Troy yeah, you know might things. want to look at yeah. these first. Yeah, I, might, <laughs> I might need to to, to to be very careful about what I read out loud in Troy's presence in the future. <laughs> so, once again, everyone, thank you very much. Troy Troy and I would like to tell you that we have plans. Yeah. Uh, next month, February, will be our anniversary month mm-hmm. for the NashiCast. We will have been doing the podcast in one form or another for nine years, and we're going to return to the NashiCast feed with another Beyond Nashy episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to be covering The Diabolical Dr. Z, a 1960s, I think 1966, Jess Franco film. Uh, There's a great new Blu-ray of it out. Uh, Tim Lucas did a commentary for it, so we're Mm going to be able to, like, you know, uh, use all his knowledge about that movie. And pretend it's ours. Yeah, (laughs) and and pretend that we came up with this Mm -hmm. brilliant information Mm -hmm. off the cuff. (laughs) Uh, But uh, Diabolical Dr. Z, one of my favorite of... uh, of uh, just Franco's black and white features going to be very. I guess I guess we kind of really jumped around with Franco because we covered also Doctor Orloff early on, right? yeah. yeah,
3: and then Lorna the Exorcist and mm. yeah. was that was Arlof, Was that the first Franco we did? Uh, I, I believe it was the first think one we covered. It might have been, yeah, yeah. I think it might have been, yeah. So uh, but this will be, I guess, only the second black and white they were doing now. Frank yeah, Kismos. is this the second? I, guess I think so. I do think we've done is. another one. I don't believe so. Because
1: we're talking about eventually doing Sadistic Baron von Klaus as yeah. well. But uh, mm. first up, Diabolical Dr. Z. <laughs> and then I think in March we're going to do another Beyond Nashy episode, but we'll announce that mm. film at a later date. It's a mm. much more modern film. Yep. Or at least from
3: the perspective of 1960s. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't I would, I would yeah. call it that modern. Not
3: modern now, unfortunately.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's about as modern as you and I, right?
1: Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: So. yeah it was a good Fair,
1: fair point there. Make me feel even older. Thank you, Troy. <laughs> See, it's reasons like I have to I have to like build up reasons like this for not giving you Russian.
3: I champions. know you're like uh, just hang on to it now and then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and remember, people, it is winter time. So one day, mm. real snow will come and wash all the
3: Grinches all- <laughs> <laughs> off the Grinches off the sidewalk. That's right. <laughs> And, uh, and at some point we will return to our universal series, and when we do, it shall be Horror Island. Yes, yes, yes. The
1: next one in this series will be Horror Island. There will be many bloody, po- bloody pit podcasts between now and mm-hmm. when we get to that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. nevertheless, that will be the next one that Troy and I do here on the Bloody Pit. So, thank you for listening. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. Bye now.